close fracture, but I can set it. His chest, the wound. Can you uh, sew him? He's lost a lot of blood. I don't know how far Locke had to carry him. Listen, listen. You are not going to die. I'm going to fix this, okay? I am going to save you. But we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Pusher Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom. And Mike, uh, we should just start with a moment of silence for the dearly departed Boone. Perfect. I have a little bit of music. Josh, if you want to sit down next to the piano with me, we'll play some chopsticks, (laughs) followed by that one where you roll your knuckles across the black keys. Oh, yeah. What's that one called? I I don't know. Me and my dad used to play that all the time. Um, I I learned and played piano for, I'd say, a good like at least 10 years of my life and it is not like getting back on a bike because i have unfortunately forgotten most of it yeah i tried to learn piano to like really impress emily fox when we were uh, first starting to date in college and uh, i was really good for a semester and then i completely lost all of my ability yeah, no we're no uh in this case jack shepherd or in the Dosido universe the daniel widmore in terms of just master <laughs> of the keys yeah. Okay, here we are. Do no harm. The final episode of Down the Hatch of 2019. Okay, let's make sure we add that qualifier in there. Yeah, listen, something has to go very wrong for this to be the final episode of Down <laughs> the Hatch, considering the fact that Mike and I are binge recording the remainder of season one. We are still in the midst of that. As you are listening to this podcast, it is the final podcast of 2019 for Down the Hatch, but certainly not the final podcast that Mike Bloom and I are recording for Down the Hatch in 2019. We still have several more to go as we are stockpiling podcasts to make sure that we do no harm to your regularly scheduled podcasting program as I'm taking three weeks off at the beginning of the new year. But Mike, as far as it stands for a final episode to discuss here in 2019, feels fitting that we're talking about the one that so prominently features life and death. Do we think we can call 2019 the year of Boone officially and 2020 is the year of Aaron? Is 2019 the year of the weird like Chinese zodiac that we've been coming up with now for lost characters? I don't know. I don't know that there's any reasonable way to say uh, 2019 is the year of Boone. Um, But sure, why (laughs) Why not? not? Let's say goodnight to the year of Boone. (laughs) And good morning to Baby New Year himself, uh, little turnip head Littleton, not to be named Aaron just yet. Yeah, let's uh, keep it anonymous, baby. Probably because they have the excuse to like trade in babies whenever they need to, uh, due to you know child labor laws. So they don't want to necessarily, if you name him, you grow an attachment to him. Absolutely. 
Of course, if you are not subscribed already to Down the Hatch, wow, you're missing out. You really ought to fix that. Down the Hatch is the place to be for 2020. is the year of Turniped and Down the Hatch, Mike Bloom. PostShowRecaps.com slash Down the Hatch is our Apple feed, but you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, your ratings and reviews. Greatly appreciated. At this point, all feedback is being reserved for our end of season special. Uh, you can send that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We are sitting on a treasure trove of feedback that people have sent in for these episodes that we are binge recording. And for that, we are very grateful. And we will get into it later on in the 1516 Others segment. Uh, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle to talk about Do No Harm, directed by Stephen Williams, written by Janet Tomorrow, as in The Sun Will Come Out. It originally aired April 6, 2005. It centers on Jack Shepard. And this, for me, is like in the conversation of the most underrated episodes of mm. Lost ever. Um, I think that it, it's hard for me to imagine people who, who walk away from Do No Harm and think that it was like a blah episode of Lost. Uh, I think at the very worst, I think it, it 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 hits as like a really good episode of Lost for most people. But to me, Do No Harm is an absolute god-tier episode of Lost. So the interesting thing about Do No Harm that I really noticed is, you know, this cast is known for its extraordinary ensemble. But due to, you know, time constraints or storyline plotting, we really saw everyone, you know, play a part in the pilot and we're going to see people play a part in Exodus, but due to just the uh, the voluminous length those episodes are given, we have the time to do that. This is an episode that I feel like really does feature something for everybody. Even someone like John Locke, who is absent over the course of this entire episode, his presence is still felt for obvious reasons. And that's one of the many, many reasons why I think this episode is so darn great, is because... It really has, you know, it's the uh, culmination of the fact that these people have been building a society. Yes, there have been scuffles, and yes, there have been trials and tribulations, and there are weird things going out in the ju- uh, going on in the jungle. But when push comes to shove, and you see this harrowing moment of one of your own, you know, got into an accident and his life is on the line, everyone goes into emergency mode here, and it's amazing to see how this is a group. That has come together. This is a community, and it's only been 20 episodes, and there's going to be so many other big community-building moments down the line, but I feel like this is one of the first big ones that we experience. This is one of those episodes where when we get to the 23-point section and we have to hand out MVPs and LVPs, it's actually going to be pretty difficult. I'd say Um, the most difficult episode so far. Because... There are, we don't have enough MVP points to hand out. And we, like, and we have too many LVP so many points. <laughs> I know, like, we, we've got LVP points to spare uh, that I think it's actually kind of difficult to, to, to ding some people here. And I feel really guilty about the fact that my system makes it easy for me to hand out an LVP point this week, but I don't like it at all. Uh, whereas we only have five MVP points to work with, and so many people 
act so heroically in this episode, act so bravely, whether it's the way Boone dies, like the way that Boone reacts to the to the face of his own certain doom, or the way that Jack, uh, you know, pu- puts himself on the line and sacrifices so much of literally his body to try and save this guy, or even uh, like Michael suddenly arranging like a guillotine mm. in the middle of the jungle with his incredible construction prowess, or Kate and Claire uh, and everything that's going on over there, and Charlie and Jin involved in that as well or Sun who is incredible in this episode uh, so there's just people are really uh, operating at, at a high level here as Jock is Dune literally Rohan. operating on Boone exactly so uh, it's great though I mean this is when, when we think about like the, the the series Bible right and like the the pitches for stories that uh, that were in that document that never really saw the light of day there was this idea that Lost didn't have to be serialized and every week could be like a new type of, of show and like sometimes it's a cop drama it's a mystery sometimes it's a doctor drama and here it is a doctor drama this is the episode that is the closest uh, I was going to say this is the closest to Lost does ER uh, how quickly I forget the fact that Jack and Juliet are literally going to have Ben on an operating table uh, in in season three, but it's our earliest instance of that yet. Um, And it's it's a really mesmerizing hour from that perspective. And you just get to see how people act in the face of such overwhelming, urgent adversity. And you also get to see Saeed and Shannon making out on the beach. And they're really, you know, uh, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I guess I should do eight and eight. I would actually argue, though, that yes... While we will have Ben in a more sterilized medical facility in season three, I personally feel like this is more of like your ER or even like your Grey's Anatomy, where, you know, often those shows function around there are multiple problems going on in the hospital at once, and every the staff is sort of like pulling their hair out, having to divide their attention between the two. And that's literally what happens here, right? We have our A story of Boone on his deathbed or death gurney, and then you have the B story of Claire giving birth. And it does feel like you know, if you put this over a roof, uh, it's essentially like a medical drama. So I right. I really enjoyed it as well because it also feels like for the first time, definitely since Homecoming, and it might even supersede that, it really feels like everyone is also concentrated towards a central goal. I mean, one of the beautiful things about Lost is that these are all different people of different proclivities and different behaviors. So, of course, they're going to have different objectives. But even projects like The Raft get dropped in the face of we need to go handle this situation and again that's a really cool moment that really uh, just crystallizes the fact that they have built a community and granted they're going to be broken apart several times starting with the end of exodus here but this is one moment where you can look at and say like wow this is a group of what was it like 16 uh main cast individuals plus some gawkers and they're going to be mobilized to do something this episode it's just great it's it's great i mean it's 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 a game changer of an episode in a lot of ways. This is the this is the first biggest, most important death of the whole. Yeah, series, no offense right? to uh, to to Scott nor to Joanna, but I would agree. Uh, yeah, or Gary Troop. Uh, even Ethan is a fairly big deal, but like you're not sad that Ethan is dead. Like you're, if anything, you're a little frustrated that Ethan is dead and surprised that Ethan is dead. And even if Boone isn't a character that is universally beloved or a top tier character necessarily, a I think that we did an admirable job of sketching out his importance and and his um you know his three dimensionality in our most recent podcast for Deus Ex Machina uh, but also he's one of us right like he is one of us he's had his own flashback we know what drives him um he's a he's a series regular in this sprawling cast and suddenly he's not anymore 
Uh, not that we're not going to see him again for the rest of the season. We are going to see him a couple more times, including as a cadaver. Uh, we're going to see him see his body one more time, uh, and then we're going to see him in a in an Exodus flashback. Uh, but this is the end of the line for for a main character, and it's the beginning of a life for a new character mm. and the expansion of life for several other characters who we already know. Um, for Charlie, you know, this is the beginning of him kind of having some more importance and responsibility and something to fight for in what remains of his life, right? For Claire, obviously, this is the end-all, be-all of her everything. This is her son. For Kate, this is huge, you know? Aaron's going to come to define Kate in in a very big way. Um, so this is this is a real inflection point in in Loss that we're getting into, uh, and it's and it's a really helpful meditation on the Jack character yes. as well. I I agree. I think that some people knock uh, the Jack flashback from this episode, which spoiler alert is about his wedding to Sarah, uh, who. Sarah. Who, also spoiler alert, has not appeared in the other two flashbacks, so it definitely makes you wonder what the heck happened to her. But I actually really enjoy these flashbacks. I think all the Jack flashbacks this season have done such a great job of showcasing essentially like the thesis statements of Jack, the Jack commandments. And those are the rules that he's going to follow, much like he follows the Hippocratic Oath. Hence the title of this episode. And yeah, even though it is such an ensemble-based episode, I mean, Jack is the one that is essentially bearing all the pressure. As he is, you know, the only one medically capable at this point of dispensing wisdom, he essentially has to keep his eye on two different targets at once. And even though he's only one person, he has to then dispense others to, to do stuff for him. And luckily, it works out from Claire's perspective, not so much from Boone's perspective. Not so much from Boots' perspective. All right, before we get into the summary, of course, we've got our weekly Down the Hatch series Bible, where we are accumulating entries for our very own series Bible for Down the Hatch. None of this is official. All of it is at least a little bit ridiculous. And this week is a lot of bit ridiculous. <laughs> this comes from the Ben behind the curtain. And this is the Down the Hatch series Bible entry for Boone's right leg. <laughs> That's the great sequel to My Left Foot, right? Yes, yes. All right, so this is what Ben writes. Strong, mobile, and entirely functional. Boone's right leg has always been there for him through thick and thin. No matter whether Boone was hanging with his nanny Teresa, running a business, or hitting winners, Boone's right leg never let him down. That is, until Boone came across a beach craft while hiking in the jungle one day. In a sudden move of betrayal, Boone's right leg allowed itself to be crushed, putting Boone's very survival in jeopardy. I think, you know... This is the most accurate yeah, one. And so I would far, say, I you like. know, I am not very athletically inclined, but I think if people ask about, you know, uh, the status of my athleticism, I would say, uh, you know, my appendages are strong mobile and entirely functional i think that's just a great way to describe that everything's like <laughs> hokey dory with uh with my legs right now yeah hopefully it stays that way Mike. i would hope so i'm not uh, getting near any plane right. doors anytime soon i'll tell you that anytime soon yeah all right so let's get into our summary we've got the assistance of eight sounds along the way here uh, i guess spoiler alert we're not going to get into the sounds until fairly deep into the episode i feel like most of the ones that we wanted to pull happen around like the halfway mark or so uh so you're just stuck with our voices for a little while I, I well everything moves deal. so quickly starting with this first scene where we pick up yes. you know we ended deus ex 
not obviously on what happens in the caves, but Locke does his quick little like Uber lock drop off of Boone and then speeding off to the next destination. But we start this episode picking up right where that scene leaves off, where essentially it's about five different characters, I guess maybe four and Hurley just sort of gawking, uh, running around trying to get Boone in some sort of stable position. Yeah, so so two things on that really quickly. One is I, I think the pace that you're talking about is another reason why I I consider this like the ER episode versus totally not important. Even the cinematography, like it does the effect of the camera swirling around. So it's yeah. like a makeshift OR. Yeah, not in Portland has like a, a very propulsive quality to it as well because you know Sawyer and Kate are on the run and Juliet's running after them and there's definitely scenes in in the hospital but like Jack is uh, like literally the whole thing is like I'm not operating yeah. on Ben <laughs> so like, it's like it's actually kind of an interesting energy shift for Jack who's typically uh, so stir crazy right and always has to be fixing something always has to be doing something and here like Jack in, in that episode is like alarmingly still uh, so it's it's very different from what we're getting from him here in Do No Harm where he is working overtime uh, to try and resuscitate Boone and keep him alive uh, so there's that piece of it and then the other thing is I, I think you touched on something that that's really worth honing in on is the way that deus ex machina and do no harm play with each other uh where deus ex machina is our is is our return to john locke and advancing that story about this man who was very broken in a lot of different ways before he came to the island and here he is on the island having his faith tested uh for the first time in a very long time um and and being like kind of like miserable about it and feeling like he was he had failed a test that he didn't comprehend and didn't understand and by the end of it there's a glowing light back on that like reinvigorates his faith Mm. That reinvigorates his belief in the island. Here with Jack, it's it's kind of a similar journey, except for science. Yep. <laughs> uh, where, where where Jack is like he's 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 putting his training to good use. Uh, he he know he knows what blood type he needs. He knows uh, he knows that he needs to puncture the lung. He knows to set the leg. He knows that the leg is the problem. He knows how to fix that, uh, but he can't fix it because he doesn't have all the right stuff. But it's not going to stop him from trying. And then. Rather than having like the faith, uh, and I don't even know if it would be a faith-driven thing. Rather, rather than understanding and really accepting that, probably no matter what, short of having full access to the to the Dharma Initiative's uh, full medical suite, uh, the sa- the staff station, and having like what's at the disposal of Hydra Island and everything like that. Short of that, Jack is not going to be able to save Boone's life on this island, even with the proper diagnosis. Mm. But he's going to walk away at the end of this episode feeling like Boone was murdered because the science tells him that if Locke had told him the truth, he would have been able to properly diagnose Boone and save his life. Uh, so I think it's really, it's really compelling to me how Deus really doubles down on the man of faith journey for Locke and Do No Harm really doubles down on that man of science journey for Jack. Well, they're also sort of twin phoenixes, though, because what Jack goes through here is a, 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 an increasing state of desperation. You know, and we talked about Jack is putting his body on the line. He's going to do his own blood transfusion. You know, he's coming up with all these uh, MacGyver-esque rudimentary ideas for how to just to save Boone's life. And it's almost like... Uh, a medically based version of Locke banging on the hatch saying, I did everything that you told me to do. And, you know, why did you have to do this to me? It's it's I think two men both sort of coming to terms with what they believe in. We're going to get to obviously one of uh, Jack's big commandments when he talks with Christian, which is, you know, uh, you are committed to being committed 
and seeing things through, you have trouble with letting things go. And I think it's safe to say that John Locke is, you know, the other side of that same coin, where he is so committed to something as well that he's going to push things into overdrive. And I think at those moments, both guys are just sort of really throwing themselves fully into their beliefs, where you start to see that, yes, those ideas are divergent, but they're not dissimilar whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into the episode, and it begins very quickly. Uh, we hop right back into it with everything that's going on with Boone, and we're like fading in and out of consciousness, kind of. Uh, and Jack is like immediately taking over the scene. Uh, you know, he he and everybody they move Boone. Jack and in, in like immediately enlists Son as his second in command. Uh, uh, she gets him scissors. She gets him diapers. They're working with what they've got, yeah. man. Like they they don't have a lot, and so Jack knows. Like here's what we do have, and this is how to use it. Uh, he's telling Kate, who's been with Jack from the start here, like switch places with Son. He tells Hurley, "I need a first class seat. I'm going to need some mesh. We're going to need to create a sterile." Hurley, do not pass out. <laughs> and Hurley's like, "I got it. I got it. I'm good. I'm good." See, rising to the occasion. Everybody's rising to the occasion. Jack's going to tell Kate, "You got to go to the beach. Go to soil." your stash we need the alcohol and my god if you uh, guys did some sort of weird drinking game a few days ago i swear to god <laughs> depleted the whole supply uh boone's lung is collapsing jack punctures yeah boone's that's lung. the other thing as well uh the only thing that might have taken away from my enjoyment of this and people who have listened to me talk about other shows on poster recaps might know that i am rather squeamish when it comes to I wouldn't call. I'm not so good around blood. yeah well i'm saying it's not so much like body horror but i would guess like that's a reason why I've been really, you know, why I mentioned at the very beginning of these podcasts how I was grateful that uh, Nip Tuck did the whole turn on the music when they were doing <laughs> surgery because yeah. I'm very, no, I'm not very good when it comes to those types of things. So I was definitely watching through my hands when Jack just completely stabs the knitting needle into Boone, but it's actually really fun because obviously we're going to tie it into the flashback soon with Sarah, whose life he saved by also jabbing a needle into her lung. Right. Also, uh, that Boone, one of his very first moments of impact on this show, is suggesting to Jack, shouldn't we jab a pen into Rose's throat? Yeah. <laughs> Which was, like, not the proper thing to do at that time. Uh, but here, Boone is having to have uh, a, a, a hollow cylindrical object punctured through his body. Uh, so turnabout's fair yeah, play, say, Boone. The, I don't know the what The pencil's I'm, in the other <laughs> lung now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't mean to shame poor Boone. Uh, but, like, everybody is flabbergasted at this moment when Jack, like, just, like, punctures it. And everybody is like, oh, oh, which I feel like is, like, the very natural oh, reaction yeah. of, oh, man, you just punctured that man's lung. Uh, it's a very intense scene uh, here in the case. Yeah, and I think that shows immediately the stakes to the characters yes, as well. absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I think, again, we sort of have our own perception of like, hey, what an operating room looks like from the drama uh, uh, dramatized versions that we see in pieces of pop culture. But I think that was sort of a moment that punctured their own fantasies of like, oh, my God, this is real. And Boone could actually be dying. So when Jack tells us jump, we have to say how high. So Jack tells Kate, jump! <laughs> like, you gotta go! I'd stop standing around and gawking! I don't want to dock you points! Get out of here! Uh, you, we need that alcohol. So Kate goes off and runs, and we get our first flashback of the episode, Mike. And here he is, Mark Silverman himself, Scott Farkas, 
himself. And for those who do not remember <laughs> what we are talking about and why we have been saying Scott Farkasing uh, throughout the, the down the hatch was all the way back in White Rabbit, which begins with Jack watching his good little buddy Mark Silverman getting beaten up on the uh, on the basketball courts as they were kids, uh, we said that the that he that the kid was getting Scut Farkist, as in a Christmas story, and Scut Farkist being one of the severe bullies from that movie. Uh, and at the time, we did not acknowledge the fact that we would see Mark Silverman later in the series <laughs> as an adult. He would be played by the actor Zach Ward who is also the actor who played <laughs> Scott Farkas in A Christmas Story. Yeah, I think I said it at the time, but it might have been unintentionally the smartest thing we've ever said in our podcasting careers. I mean, it's amazing. Really incredible. Yeah. Uh, but here he is, uh, and I, I always love the way that they set this up. It's just like kind of classic Lost, where uh, Mark Silverman's in a tuxedo, and he's tying his tie, and Jack's like trying to talk him down, like, you're, you, you know, I know you don't like getting up in front of crowds. I know this is like kind of like a big deal for you. It's like, I'll be fine after a few beers. And Jack's like, she's going to bust you, man. She's going to bust you. And it's not too late for you to back out. And then Mark goes, that's ah, just a stupid speech. Uh, and then we find out that uh, you, you thought that Mark was the groom and that Jack was like getting him ready for his wedding. But no, Jack's the groom. It's Jack's wedding day. And this is a big twist at the time. It's like, wait, what? Jack's married? Yeah, because again, we saw the previous two flashbacks where there was nary a mention. I'm trying to remember. Maybe, maybe. No, none. This I'm is trying it. to remember if, if, if Margot made some sort of mention to Jack when she was trying to convince him to go to Sydney, comma, Australia. Uh, but maybe not. Yeah, this seems to just be no, a, a new revelation. So. But uh, I think that, you know, Josh, this is also probably a flashback that you and I can both relate to as we have both been married. I know personally, uh, I am Team Jack over Team Farkas when it comes to the clip on ties versus the uh-huh. the uh, the tie tie. Because we had bow ties uh, for our wedding because uh, I was really into bow ties back then. And we made sure that they were, you know, ones that you could actually tie because it just feels like feels more realistic. You know, it feels like less of a facade that you're putting on. I don't know that I've ever done... I've tried the bow tie. I, I don't think I could pull off the bow tie. It doesn't look good on me. I think it depends on, like... Not a bow tie. I think tie size guy. and pattern are also, like, very key to it as well. Because uh, otherwise, like, yeah, you don't want to look too P.B. Herman, but you also don't want to look like you're wearing, like, a piece of macaroni underneath your neck. Oh, no, now I'm, now I'm interested. Like an edible bow tie? Like a bow tie pasta? Yeah. Maybe, you know what? Maybe we can put that on the you market. You just go and you boil it and you clip it on. And then you've got a snack for when like the party gets really <laughs> severe and the dancing goes under and uh, and everybody with me comes on. Like, I feel like that's the move. Well, that's, that's, that's my song. That's my tie. Well, I get to eat well, this. Well, then let's not, you know, stop at the tie. Why not make your entire tux edible this is oh my god like just like one gigantic pasta sheet. yeah this is well, a listen, really good idea we're gonna get to this later jack loves to compare body parts to pasta to pasta he loves pasta because between you gotta imagine they had a very significant pasta bar situation at yeah because we had the angel hair with the the back nerves from when she was talking to kate during the whole count to five stuff when they first met this episode he's going to compare uh piercing a vein to piercing a wet noodle a wet noodle. That man loves wet noodles. Yeah, either that or he's just like really on like a pasta kick. Like he really wants to chow down on some tagliatelle 
Uh, but he hasn't been yeah. able to on the island. <laughs> he loves the Tagliatelle. Oh my god, a fresh rigatone. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so so he's uh, he's going to put on his suit. It's not, unfortunately, it's not going to be a pasta suit, as far as we can tell, unless it's like a squid ink pasta that he's uh, wearing uh, for his wedding with that black tux. I don't know. I, I guess it's not impossible. I feel like Jack would be so nervous if that was the case that he would have eaten his tux before the wedding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think like you're, it's a good idea. This is a good if down the hatch never really takes off and we're not able to like severely monetize the podcast, Mike. Uh, I think that you and I have a really good uh, business in the making with edible tuxedos. I would be fully up for a bonus podcast called Dharma Shark Tank, where we come up with a bunch of business <laughs> ideas from Lost. That's incredible! The Dharma Shark Tank absolutely <laughs> has to happen. Brilliant! Put it on the wheel that we never trigger anymore. Um, all right, let's get back to the island, uh, Jack. Jack's looking at Boone's leg, that right leg that we so accurately described earlier, and it's been fractured. Uh, and this is when we get uh, what we listen to at the top of this podcast, where Jack is telling him, Boone, you're not going to die. I'm going to fix it, all right? I'm going to save you. Yeah. I don't know why I went into, like, scary voice for Jack, but, like, he gets very intense. Yeah. And, you know, when he locks in on, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to save you. Uh, Jack really has that in his mind. That really becomes like his whole driving. Well, that's his mantra. And you have to imagine that he's telling himself that as much as he's telling Boone that too, because that's going to be something that's going to keep driving him forward. No matter what obstacle they face, he's able to say, no, I made a promise. I need to fulfill that promise. And it once again, because he cannot let things go, it's going to drive him to extreme, extreme measures to try to get to an end that ends with Boone living. All right, back on the beach, raft squads, taking a break, fish break, fish lunch. Uh, everybody's working so hard that they got to eat. Uh, so there's uh, Sawyer and Michael. They're, they're working on some fish. Uh, Jin's working on the raft. But here's Claire, who's just kind of walking by. And she's like, hey, uh, <laughs> uh, quick question. When do you think you guys are going to launch that raft? Any chance that we're going to be able to get off this island soon? Because I kind of have a feeling that I may need to get off this island soon. Uh, if only Arst was there at the moment to go into his monologue weather lesson to really talk to her about when the optimal time to leave is. Oh, my God. Uh, they're saying, like, it's maybe a week, maybe less. She's like, mm, could you maybe up that timetable just to <laughs> by a couple of days as in, like, now, yeah. now. Uh, let's push uh, off now, I think. We're good. <laughs> Yeah, so she walks away, and, like, Sawyer's, like, at first, like, kind of, like, uh, sweet to her and saying, like, you know, trying to offer her some food, and then she walks away, and then Sawyer's, like, classic uh, scoundrel Sawyer. He looks at Michael's like, she likes. And and I love love the face that Michael gives Sawyer back of, like, really? Uh, And Come on, man. Sawyer Sawyer calling Claire Mamacita. Interesting nickname. I know. I know. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, Michael's trying to get Jin to eat. Jin doesn't want to eat. Jin's, uh, working overtime. Do you think, uh, Jin um, pounded those fish firsthand to give to those guys? Oh yeah, ab- obviously. Obviously, it's the only way to serve it. Um, Kate runs in. Uh, so she's made good time. She runs in. She tells Sawyer, like, immediately, like, I need all your alcohol. And huge credit to Sawyer. And again, we just don't have the MVP points for it. But huge credit to Sawyer here. Uh, that he immediately, without question... Not only rises to the occasion, goes to his stash, gives her all of his alcohol, but offers to join uh, the trip back. Uh, And she says, I appreciate it. Too many cooks already. Uh, Which, uh, if anyone wants to uh, submit that to Lindelof Volume 2. 
Please do. We are still uh, waiting for submissions. No new Lindelof submissions. Send them in. Um, but credit to Sawyer, right? I mean, like, he's a good guy when push comes yeah, to Yeah, and show. I think we saw shades of this back in Homecoming, right? When he is part of that party that is going to uh, set up a sting on Ethan. I think that, though, Sawyer tries to, at least in the initial stages, come across as sort of an X-factor and, and a guy off on his own. He has sort of nestled himself in between, you know, him helping in those regards and the raft as well has given him, you know, two guys, three guys to immediately talk to and work with each and every day. So I feel like this is just another step in his overall, uh, you know, dissolving into the community at large that, you know, he's able to show his specialized skills to Kate in the form of providing those little alcohol bottles and also simultaneously offer his own assistance. But yeah, unfortunately, I think this is going to be a wrap on Sawyer this episode. Um, so, well, we'll see him a little bit at the at the very end when uh, Turnip Head makes his debut to the world. Um, and also, I mean, he's like he's peeping on them in the in the darkness from the future. Oh, right. I guess yeah. Uh, I guess current timeline Sawyer. Then that's a no. We'll we'll see we'll see him ogle the baby. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also the Sawyer I think he likes in me. the jungle. I think, or at least the sound me. of my voice. Uh, he, he loves the sound of his voice, at the very least. Um, all right, back at the caves, Jack is stitching Boone up. Uh, he knows that Boone needs some blood, but he's got to set the leg. And Sun is like Sun is like constantly telling Jack like. You got to take a break. You're too intense. You're kind of stressing me out, if I'm being honest with you. Go get some air. Uh, And Jack, to his credit, often does listen to Sun, maybe begrudgingly uh, a lot of the time. But ultimately, he he does come around to being like, yeah, you're right. I got to get some air. And so he he steps out. They've already, like, set up the medical tent, uh, which is is very uh, kind to the rest of the people in the cave so they don't have to see everything. Well, they still have to hear everything. Um, he's going to step out, and Charlie's like, so what happened? Where's Locke? Where's Shannon? Jack does not know. Yeah, I would say, Charlie, this is... You're catching Jack in a pretty bad moment to, to you know, start uh, giving him 20 questions. I understand this is Charlie as a character as well. Like, he's very inquisitive, inquisitive, and I think, you know, a little anxious by nature. I will also say... Boone's presence in this episode, I mean, it's fading in and out of consciousness. What I found really interesting about this scene is if you listen to the closed caption, apparently there's certain points in time where he's muttering, I'm sorry, over and over again. I have a theory that sort of ties into some later comments about who he might be speaking to. But I mean, do you have any thoughts? Do you think he's just sort of apologizing for being injured? Um, I think that that could, I mean, you say that as a joke, but I think like there could be some truth to that. Uh, I think that there could be some truth to the idea of like him recognizing that this is like a big burden on the group right now mm. uh, and does not want it to be that way. Uh, but alas, it is. Um, I think that there might be something to that. What's your Let theory? me plant a flag that I'll, 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 yeah, I'll come back upon um, when we get into a future sound. I think there are sort of some fever dream moments from Boone during his blood loss where he thinks he's talking to Shannon. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Because I think that, you know, we'll obviously get into the whole tell Shannon dot 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 of it all. But there are certain comments that I think in another type of setting could be attributed to somebody like Shannon. And I could imagine if he's on his deathbed or he's having some weird non-pace induced uh, visions in front of him due to his blood loss that Shannon would probably be top of mind besides Locke of someone he'd be talking to, right? And so what's he apologizing for? Like the how everything went down in Sydney before they crashed on the island, the way he's been treating her over the last few weeks, even just like the totality of her yeah, life, I mean, maybe, that's, and, and how tragic we know it is. Yeah, that's be. the thing is like, uh, I'd assume like the latter, but I guess if we're talking more recently, maybe just 
the way he's been treating her on the island, specifically maybe he apologizes for the way he sort of rebuffed Saeed and, you know, talked badly about her to him. Because, I mean, ultimately, one of the heartbreaking things about this is that Shannon and Boone do not have that final moment together until they get over to the other side, as it were. But maybe Boone, for some reason, is seeing this as his moment to do so, even though she's not physically there. So let's go to a flashback. Uh, we're going back to the wedding, and Mark Silverman, I guess, has just finished his speech. I'm very glad we didn't need to listen to that speech, because if it's from Thank a drunken best man speech, uh, I don't know if they would bring up, like, um, when I met Jack, we were getting pounded on the on the playground <laughs> by these bullies. Uh and here's yeah, he's 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 uh, he had said earlier when he was trying the suit on, uh, like I'll be fine, I'll be eight beers deep. And Jack says, "Oh, she's gonna bust you." He's like, "Ah, she she won't know." He's like, "She's gonna bust you." Uh, and when he finishes, uh, he finishes his speech by introducing the future Miss Jack Shepherd. Uh, Sarah steps up, and Sarah, uh, Sarah, uh, the first thing she says is, "Can I get another microphone?" This one has been drinking. So she's busted Scott Farkas right away. Yeah. I mean, if that's the case, then he really must have not done a good job of job, Yeah, he must have not gonna, done a good job of obscuring it. I bet you he thought so internally he, he was he nailing it. Eight beers and thought that he was gonna be okay. I would not You had one job, I would not be surprised Mark. if the entire speech was him slurring, puking in the corner. And then, like, uh, finishing up with, like, a, a salacious story and then saying, I'm going to hand it off to the future Miss Jack Shepard. And he thought he uh, nailed it. That's what it. we missed. That's what we missed. Yeah. Nailed it. Swish. Uh, one time, Jack and I, we went to Thailand. Uh, we're not there yet. Uh, I see the future. Uh, yeah. Mark Silverman. Uh, easy LVP candidate this week. Yeah, I mean, listen, again, there... The, it's not a lot to choose exactly. from, Mark it's, Silverman. It's, like almost by default, you're in big trouble. Yeah, you ha- you have one job, <laughs> and your one job is to be an LVP by default. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, but here comes Sarah, aka Julie Bowen, in the house. She of Modern Family fame. Uh, she Happy, of Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Oh my God! How how uh, Virginia Bennett in the house? Uh, I believe it's Virginia Bennett actually. Uh, which uh, I didn't know until I just looked it up. I always thought it was Virginia. I mean, that Bennett. sounds like a much better name than Virginia Venet. Yeah, well, I guess they're sticking with Veronica Vaughn, the double V mm. thing from Billy Madison to Happy Gilmore. Uh, where do you land on Billy Madison versus Happy Gilmore? Probably? I'm personally more of a Billy Madison person. Yeah, all yeah. right. We don't need to go any we, further. No, we're simpatico. We agree. We yeah. agree. I mean, l- listen. We agree. I often get into big fights with people who pick uh, Happy Gilmore over Billy Madison. No, I mean, uh, I think Billy Madison is more of a representation of our juvenile uh, senses of humor. And also, listen, I know golf is uh, maybe a separate sport from some of the main four, but I was, you know, if you're telling me, hey, here's a thing about elementary school versus sports, I'm going to go with elementary school most of the time. I was g- I was going to say who would be more valuable on the island, Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. Certainly Happy Gilmore would clean up the island tournament, but no one would want to play But I think Happy Gilmore would be great at, like, the gin-esque hacking at the raft. Like, just get him really pissed off, and he's just going to go, you know, eight poop uh, to build that thing lickety-split. Like, if Claire gives him that timeline, he's going to stick to it. Right, but Billy Madison has like the full apparatus of his uh, of Madison hotels seeking him out. Probably. Oh, that's true. Maybe like, uh, Billy's dad will be like the new Widmore in terms of like sending freighters captained by Norm Macdonald 
uh, to to find him. I also would say that I'm imagining a scene in Billy's father, by the way, Billy Madison's father, Darren McGavin, who was also in A Christmas Story starring Zach. This Moore. is like a six he degrees was, of separation that we didn't even realize. <laughs> he was Ralph, he was um, Ralph I do have this scene now in my mind, though, of going into the swan hatch and seeing Billy Madison in the bathtub with the bubbles on with conditioner <laughs> versus shampoo. Yeah, yeah, he's got a lot to say in the swan station. Stop uh, thinking about swan, swan station. station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so dumb. So dumb. All right, so here's Julie Bennett as Sarah. Uh, and I know this doesn't end very happily for Sarah and Jack. I've always had a soft spot for Sarah, though. I've always really liked her. So here's the interesting thing, because she's going to go into the story that we're actually going to see physicalize a man of science, man of faith of, you know, I got in this car accident. I killed this random guy. It's not like he's the father of any important character that Jack's going to meet in his life or anything. Uh, But Jack, you know, he promised he would fix me because that's the guy he is because you are the most committed man I've ever known. And that's sort of, again, a, a recurring heartbeat throughout this as Boone loses his. Is the commitment, you know, theme affected at all in hindsight by the future flashbacks of Jack where we find out, for example, like he attempts or flirts with cheating on his wife? Does that at all sully I- this idea of Jack being the most committed man ever? No, I think like because of like the I, I I think like the extreme like immediate remorse that he expresses and like he goes right back to Sarah to tell her about it, combined with the fact that for Sarah, that wasn't even the thing anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it like the fact that like he kissed this woman isn't the thing that's you know gonna drive her away. She's already been driven away. Uh so I think what's like his commitment to his his commitment to his work uh, is so vast and so serious that it means that he can't be committed to his marriage at all, which is, uh, you know, a very sad thing for a human being. Um, you know, I think it, it says a lot about the kind of person that he is. Um, so I don't think that, like, that aspect of it is what what really catches my yeah. eye in terms of the way that their marriage falls apart. I think it's more, and I think that you see it a lot of, you know, in a lot of different ways throughout the Jack storyline that he's somebody that's like so mission oriented. And if he doesn't have a, it, it, he's always like committed to a cause more so than a person. Yeah. You know, right now it's less that he's committed to Boone and he's more committed to the idea of like, if I can't save Boone's life, what, what use am I out? That's here? yeah. You know, if I, if I, if I can't save him, then why am I the leader? Why am I the doctor? And then when he can't save Boone, if he can't at least bring Boone's killer to justice, you know what I mean? Like, that's what he's committed. I yeah, I really like that idea. And I think that's also why any sort of interpersonal relationships are so strained, whether it's, you know, Sarah here. It's not a people yeah, person. And, and it's because he puts, you know, his work over people. And even though his work is treating people, he's more so working, looking for the work than it is necessarily like, I want to connect with everybody. And I wonder how much of that is also spurred on the fact of, you know, what his dad told him so, so long ago, uh, you know, back when Mark Silverman and him were just babes of, you know what? You just don't have it. You don't have it in yourself to remove these personal connections from your life. It's almost like Jack followed that credo so much and became overly committed to that ideal that he lost the ability to commit to anyone in particular to the point where we're going to get later on Jack admitting to his dad, like, yeah, I might have only did this, done this because I was committed to the relationship, but not necessarily the person that is Sarah. Right. And I mean, Jack's the last guy to wake up 
at the end, yeah. right? Like in the in the sideways, he's going to be the last person who wakes up to where he is. Uh, and I think a big piece of that is he has a very hard time not just letting go, but like grabbing on uh, and like connecting with people. This is not his his wheelhouse. Uh, it's very much evidenced by the fact that he struggles so deeply with his vows. Is like he has a hard a hard time articulating personal feelings and like opening up and being vulnerable in in the way. Um, that that Sarah is with him later on, uh, and I think that you see that all throughout the Jack story. And I think like if the overall message of of Lost is sort of that cheeky thing of like uh, is the 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 true journey of Lost was the friends we made along the way, you know, like if that if that's sort of like the message at the end of this thing, Jack is kind of the last to like wake up and appreciate that and appreciate the idea of like to some of these people who who mattered a lot to him, but it was very hard for him to ever express that to these people. Uh, they're kind of welcoming him into the party, yeah. right, at the very end, where they're like, you you mattered to us. Uh, so I think, I think that there's, you know, a lot of the shows that I love are about connection, ultimately, and I think that Lost is really no different. And I think with Jack, he's a really reluctant connector. Um, but uh, Sarah's going to give that speech, and then back on the island... Son's going to come to Jack with, like, this big stick. And Jack's like, what's this, an herbal remedy? It's like, hey, now, come on. Uh, and she says, no, it's for him to bite down on because you're about to do the thing to the leg. And Jack's like, good call. You're good at this. Uh, and she's holding his shoulders down. And Jack goes down to the leg. And I always, like, imagine that there's going to be, like, an end of one, end of two, end of, we got a bleeder. Yeah. But there's nothing like that. He really just goes... Here we go. And the music cuts and you hear the noise and you hear Boone screaming in agony and Hurley at least doesn't pass out, but he's got to put his head in his hands. It's like, oh, I wish I had. I wish I had my disc, man. Yeah. I wish it was still working. Lost does fun things with screams. As weird as it is to say, like this mirrored a lot to me with um, the scene we're going to see in Exodus of Saeed closing Charlie's wound with gunpowder, where when the person actually screams and, you know, this painful injury happens, they like to pan away from it uh, to not only spare, you know, listeners that are weak-willed like myself of the horror of it, but also to make sort of an artistic choice. And I really like what they were doing here, where what we see is, like you mentioned, it's a shot of Hurley in the foreground, and we see sort of the the jungle OR that's been set up of these, like, shower curtains, and Boone is silhouetted, screaming and thrashing. I was waiting for Austin Powers to pop up with a <laughs> magnifying glass of Hurley to be like, oh my god, what is he doing? Right. Right, right. So Kate's going to run through the jungle, and she trips, uh, she falls, and several of the bottles of alcohol break in her backpack. Not all of them. Hey, but I never sucks. tripped and broke bottles of alcohol when I was running through the jungle. <laughs> that, were, that were desperately needed. Uh, and I guess, like, ultimately, it's a good thing because it slows her down enough to stop and hear the fact that Claire Littleton is nearby, out here on her own, screaming. And Kate's like, OMG, you're having... A baby. Yeah, and not, that's the other thing as well. Kate goes through her sort of interesting journey here. I know we have an other that talks about it, but, it, you know, I think this is obviously a subject she hasn't really uh, t- dealt too much with before, to the point where she says, oh, God, you're having a baby. Not the baby, a baby. Like, this concept is so foreign to her that she can't even get the the syntax right on what to say. Yeah, she's having a hard time. This is a, uh, among the reasons why this is such a great episode is the fact that like this isn't just like Claire's having her baby and Kate's going to say this, right? Like she's going to say this baby is all of ours. Uh, but it's like it's 
pretty really Kate's for a while. Uh, like Kate is here for the birth of her son in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and she'll be here for the son in many ways as well. She'll say, you know, uh, hey, this is not your just your baby. This is my baby, too. And it'll become literal. Uh, but yeah. And, you know, Claire's perspective is really interesting here, too, because she, you know, she in true Claire fashion initially is like, no, leave me alone. You know, I'm just fine. She's probably thinking back to raised by another when she was having some freakouts. And it just turned out that it was some sort of, I think, just panic uh, induced series of contractions. But no, she's going to realize real quickly that it is the real deal. And this is actually happening. The, as much as she tried to this bump up the raft project, it's got to happen right here, right now. Right here, right now is exactly what it's got to be. Uh, at the beach, there's Jin, who thankfully is not bashing any fish into any pieces of metal because his ears are crisp. They are clean. He's got super hearing. This is his superpower. No, right? I thought that. What about uh, the super sperm? <laughs> He's got that too. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh my god. Everybody's uh, everybody's issues on the island could be saved uh, with Jin's super sperm. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that was really uh, the how it should have ended for Lost. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, but he's able to hear what's going on in the jungle, and he races off. And the way that they shoot this is really awesome. Uh, like, the episode takes some time to spend with Jin. And, like, now that, like, we know more about Jin, and now that we have, like, a little bit of a better feeling about Jin, uh, I kind of love, like, sort of, like, this hero moment of, like, running into the woods with him after everything that had happened to him, too. Like, the last time he was off in the woods on his own uh, in, like, the thick of what seemed to be a dangerous situation. He got knocked out by Ethan. And you hear he's just, like, bravely running in because he doesn't know what the words mean, but he knows what, like, a scream for help right. is. Uh, and he goes off, and, like, the camera's swirling around him, and then he screams off in the right direction. Uh, and he finds Kate, and he finds Claire, and he understands enough English to understand Jack Doctor. Uh, he's got to go and get the guy. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, she sends Jin to go. I guess, you know, she she has that connection with Claire. And maybe I guess the non-native English speaker does a better job just as a serving a messenger with those specific words rather than having to try to comfort Claire when clearly she's freaking out. Yeah, she's like, yeah, she's having a hard time. And Kate's like, I'm not going anywhere. Jin's going to yeah. be there. I also Jin's love uh, Jin sort of like, whoa, as he comes in and just sees what the heck is happening. Because again, <laughs> yeah, certain things, uh, Ginny Lawrence, uh, certain things transcend, <laughs> you know, language. And I think he very clearly understood. I think we're going to talk about later also about Jin's reaction to it, considering uh, his own, what he thinks is a lack of super sperm at this point. Uh, and how that's sort of going to tie into how he feels about the entire Aaron situation, too. All right. So uh, Jack is is with Sun and Boone still, and he's trying to get Sun to ask Boone for his blood type. Uh, and she says, he's not answering. He's in shock. What do you want? He says, that's why you need to keep asking. Uh, I need to find I we need to give him blood. He's lost so much blood. Uh, and Jack is like sitting in the corner trying to like poke his finger. Because uh, he's trying to come up with something that, as you mentioned before, Mike, uh, he needs to find something that's going to pierce a vein. Veins are like wet noodles. I love them. I, love <laughs> I just love to eat them. No, that's that's people, Count Jackula. That's his description of it. People people devein their shrimp and throw the vein away. I eat it. I love yes. it. And I eat it with wet. I eat noodles. some nice shrimp veins on linguini. It's pasta on pasta. Pasta on pasta on pasta. Uh, he says, first you got to find the wet noodle. Then you need a hollow needle sharp enough to actually pierce it. I have bamboo. That's what he says. 
And Buna ekes, ekes out uh, a negative. A neg. A neg. A negative. Very good, Boone. See, Boone is an all-star in this episode. Uh, Gotta, I, we'll talk yeah. about it. Do I have to dock him? No, I don't know. Well, rule talk. As we we'll find talk. out this episode, rules are made to be broken uh, when it comes to yeah, Kratos. We'll, we'll but yeah, see. I mean... Let's see. I'm, oh, God. I, I don't I know. I think Sun has a very good point in that, like, listen, you can't ask a guy who's rapidly, like, d- losing life uh, these lucid questions, but Boone is able to come about briefly to actually, you know, listen and respond, and he'll be able to say much more later on, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like, good job, Boone. You did such a great job. Uh, a negative, and Jack tells Sun, we got to find Shannon. Meanwhile, Shannon's on a date. Shan- on, on Boone's last day on Earth, Shannon's having a great time. Yeah, and this is, I mean, it's like tough and heartbreaking at the same time, because obviously, had they known the situation, they would have rushed right back. But this is sort of like the, if they had cell phones on lost, this wouldn't have happened, because they have no idea. We get more sassy Saeed here, where Shannon says, where are we going? And Saeed goes, this way, uh, without giving away any other information. But he's got a little picnic set up, Josh. Got a little picnic set up. Uh, very, very cute. And Hurley is eventually going to be like, didn't you do a picnic with Shannon? And uh, yeah, it doesn't really work out so well for her. Yeah, Hurley I was going to say, like, all right, just, just, you just have thing. to make sure that she doesn't get shot in the stomach. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It really yeah. does track. Oh, jeez. Uh, by the way, I believe that this is all happening, what, like, 10 minutes after Saeed made those glasses for Sawyer. Uh, So while he made all, while he made the glasses for Sawyer, Mike, he also had like planned this sprawling picnic, uh, like deep on the other side of the beach with tiki torches and blankets and stuff. Uh, this is like the best person on the planet, I mean, let alone we, the island. We've said that Saeed is a hopeless romantic. And I think this shows it first and foremost. He's the best boyfriend ever. Yeah, he really is. He's great. Uh, so, surprise. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back at the caves, Charlie's found an A+. He's found a couple B, uh, B negatives. No O negs. Uh, and no one knows the would blood you, uh Josh, uh, would you be able to give blood to Boone? I believe I'm actually a universal donor. Amazing. So yes. I, uh, am, I so. am much like the, one of the four people canvas in A positive, so I unfortunately would not. I'm a universal donor, so if anyone's in trouble, if we ever crash on an island together... Don't kill me. You're going to need my blood. Stockpile the sea urchin. Get all those needles handy. And I will be your blood bag. Count Jacula. You hear me. Well, I guess the question is, though, could they just exhume your body and take the blood from it? Do you need to be alive for a blood transfusion? Eventually, no. The blood's... Yeah, I don't... (laughs) I mean, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure eventually it's not going to (laughs) work I don't think you want to kill me if you want me to be your source of blood transfusion. I'm not convincing the party that we landed on the island with to kill you. I'm just saying you don't necessarily need to be alive. Listen, I understand that I look a snack. Uh, But, uh... Cool your appetites and think with your head. Just thinking, here, listen, I had wet noodles on the flight and I'm craving seconds. Yeah. And then uh, people take me at my word and start withdrawing my blood during the first medical crisis, only for that person to go into shock as we realize I've, uh, I've been bluffing about my blood type. <laughs> yeah, you're really pulling a real Sawyer of like, all right, <laughs> if you give work. me this thing, then I'll let you know, I'll give uh, you my blood. 
Uh, so Jack is O negative. It's the universal donor. Uh, he's going to be the guy to to donate to Boone. And uh, they found the hollow needle that's sharp enough to pierce a noodle. And it comes from Sun Quan, who's found uh, the needle from the sea urchin. And it's perfect. And Sun Quan, uh, at this point, if it wasn't already clinched, clinching her spot on the MVP list. Absolutely. And speaking of another possible MVP, I think, again, it's also really fitting that Jack's blood type is O negative, not just because of, uh, you know, how he's going to be able to give his own blood, but he wants to help everybody, right? Like you said, O is the type of the universal donor, and he feels like somebody who is donating, donating every part of his fiber and being to fixing whatever situation is happening. Uh, and also the negative makes sense because he's a little bit of a pessimist as well. Even though he does have hope a to keep bit. Boone alive, uh, he's very much a realist when it comes to certain aspirations. All right, so he's going he's gonna to be the donor. Um, he's, he's a little worried because uh, Jack's blood is not an exact match. It's ballpark, but not an exact match, and it could send Boone into shock and stop his heart. But don't worry, he insists. He's not going to die. Spoiler alert. He totally. You think is. if he said it like uh, four or eight times? Well, actually, no. That would have been that yeah, would have yeah, been unlucky. No, and then he would have died. He would have died on the spot. He would have died. On <laughs> he the would have spot. exploded. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of numbers, how about we get to our first sound? Here we are. Uh, we've got our first sound of the episode, not including the intro sound. Uh, and this is flashback yet again. We're going to listen in on Jack with. One of his secret skills, one of his, his unsung, one of his uh, more unheralded skills uh, as a pianist. Uh, and here we go. Those girls are checking you out. You're in your PJs. Indeed I am. Are they cute? Who? The girls are checking me out. Um, one of them's kind of cute. The other one's just trashy. <laughs> Heart and soul. You got it. I'm taking the easy part. Of course. How do you know I haven't? Because you hadn't. Oh, sorry. It was a silly idea. I, just, I read too many bridal magazines. I think it rotted my brain. Sarah, I want to. I'm going to. I just have to figure out the right way to say it. Just vows. <laughs> just vows. Hmm. You stay down here as long as you need to. And when you're ready, I'll be upstairs. I cannot wait to marry you, Jack Shepard. So, Josh, the biggest mystery, obviously, from this scene, why does Sarah have matching pajamas that just has the number 44 on it? Uh, because 4 plus 4 equals 8. Uh, and four twice 
is the first number of the sequence twice. So is there, but do you think there's anything from Sarah's life? Like, was she number 44 in something? Is that just a number that she enjoys, that she got that screen printed on all of her clothing? Yeah, I think, like, you get a favorite number if if you're, like, uh, if you were in, like, a a collegiate sport or a high school sport, that number comes with you. What if she was uh, an IndyCar racer and her number was 44? And so it's very ironic that she got in a car accident. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why she's got 44. But I like I like Sarah a lot. I I think she's cute and she plays the piano with Jack and I think it's really sweet. And it's nice to see Jack like kind of happy even though he's like a little like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I think it's uh I think Sarah's very down to earth here. Yeah. Like she's and it's yeah. interesting, you know, when she first says you don't have to do this, Jack has been thinking about that, but not necessarily about the vows, maybe about the idea of marriage in general. Uh but again, it speaks to those commitment ideas of her being like no, she sort of is saying, I'm letting you off the hook, but Jack is almost doubling down. Uh, and it probably also doesn't help that, like, the guy who he wants to, who really taught him this idea of commitment, uh, is in absentia right now, but is still sort of, like, you know, probably hanging over his mind of, like, my dad's going to be here, and I want to make sure that not only I, uh, you know, express my love to her, but I also want to make sure to a certain extent that I impress my father, too. I just, I also like uh, Jack uh, playing the piano as something that's attached to Jack throughout the series. Like, there's a few times where we're going to see Jack playing piano. We're going to see him playing piano in, in Dharmaville, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's going to be at the barracks. He's going to be playing piano when Kate finds him there, um, which is kind of like a mirror of this scene to some degree. Certainly in the Flash Sideways, Jack's kid is going to be a pianist. Uh, and I feel like that kind of, like, reflects what... Uh, and Jack's, like, going to be very supportive of that. And I feel like in, in the same way that, like... Faraday was really into piano, and then his mom pushed him towards being a, a scientist and mathematician because she knew that she needed to close the loop uh, in order for everything to go the way that it goes. Uh, that like there's like this desire of like maybe he didn't want to get into the family business, right? Yeah. Like maybe he just like if he had just been left to his own designs, maybe kid could have just played piano. He would have been pretty good at it. I mean, I guess all we're talking about is heart and soul right now. No, I mean he was uh, he was doing he, out he was doing some like lounge stuff before. She came down. But I think also piano is the perfect instrument as well because it's about, you know, having your hand Very having difficult. your hands do two different things at once. And Jack is someone who right. has like always had his attention divided in so many places, uh, you know, much to the chagrin of the people around him. That and of course, again, like, you know, when Sarah sits down, she says, I'll take the easy part. And I feel like Jack is so self-sacrificial that of course he would take the hard part in heart and soul. It's all these like little micro decisions that he makes in every single moment of dialogue here that just really adds up to the character we see. Piano is also a perfect lost instrument, Mike, because it's keys are black and white. <laughs> 88 keys. Most of them are yeah. white. Some of them are black. Some of them are black. Walt, do you want to know a sonata? <laughs> um, all right. On the island, Jin's going to show up at the caves. Uh, Hurley points him to Jack. Jack runs in. He and Sun are together in a room, quote unquote, a room together for the first time. A little awkward, especially because they got to talk because Sun's got to yeah. translate. Oh, I Jin. love this dynamic. I know that we're going to hit this beat a couple times, especially uh, when we get to Born to Run in terms of like the Jin and Sun are really aren't speaking to one another. But like you said, there's this awkward thing where Sun is the go between with Jin and the rest of the castaways, and she has been. Uh, for quite some time, but here is when, like, they have to put all pretenses aside, but even just looking at Jin, he can barely make eye contact 
with her. If you want a sense as to why Jin is working on that raft ASAP, look no further than his body language from this scene. Yeah, it really that really highlights it. Uh, but he's going to he's gonna convey the information that Claire is about to have the baby. She's with Kate, uh, and Charlie is there too right now. So he's like, whoa, okay, all right, I'm going to get all the stuff. Uh, we're going to get the towels. We're going to get bandages. We're going to get hot water. Uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to go and get all the things. Uh, and now Jack is like trying to like, because he knows that Charlie's going to go back with Jin. And what Charlie doesn't know yet is that Jack's not going to go with him as well. And he's already going to start laying out some instructions for Charlie. Let's listen in because this is a great scene as well. Yeah, I know. I, uh, that dilating thing. How do I look out, Charlie? Listen to me. Tell Kate. Charlie, look at me. Tell Kate to wait until the contractions are 60 seconds apart. You got that? Now, she's going to need to make sure that Claire pushes. Not too hard, not too fast. Just until the head is clear. And then as hard as she can. Now, when the baby is out, make sure she clears its nose and its mouth. Okay, but you'll be dead by then, right? No, I won't. Jack- I'm not going anywhere. I need to stay here. Now you tell Kate. She's going to have to deliver this baby. Uh, Spoiler alert, Charlie. How do you look out for that dilating thing? The answer is don't look at that dilating thing (laughs) or you're going to have a very different (laughs) image of Claire from there on out. (laughs) So Jack's not going to go. He's signing on to to send his blood directly into Boone Carlisle's body. Uh, and that means he can't be in two places at once. And these are decisions that Jack has had to make in the past. Uh, ironically enough, the last time uh, or, or one of the times that we've seen Jack make these uh, types of calls... Uh, he chose uh, well. He chose Boone over Joanna mm. first of all. So this has already happened, where Boone has uh, been selected over somebody else on somebody's the playing favorites. But once, but once upon a time, as we'll see in season two, uh, Jack chooses Sarah instead of Shannon's mm-hmm. father. Uh, so Jack has a lot of connections here with uh, with the with the Rutherford Carlisles uh, and has presided over the deaths of multiple members of, of this family. Uh, but here, at least, he's he's trying to prioritize Boone over Aaron, uh, who he does not know yet is Aaron, and who he certainly does not know yet is his nephew. Um, what do you think of Jack's decision here, given all of the things that he knows, knowing that so far there's no other blood donor uh, that could possibly be a match for Boone? Um, so And so far not yet knowing that Locke's diagnosis about Boone, that Locke's story is a lie. Uh, do you think that Jack makes the right call here, or do you think that he... No, completely. This? I think that not to, you know, uh, put down Claire's situation at all, because I also know that complications during childbirth can really endanger the mother's health, but it seemed like, at least from what Jin was telling him, that, you know, if you're looking at somebody who is bleeding out versus someone who's giving birth, you know, I think a person's life really takes precedence and is the more immediate concern. Like, for all they know, Claire could be, I mean, the labor process can take up to, like, 48 hours sometimes. So for all they know, like, he could fix up Boone and Boone could be fine and maybe Jack could be able to help take care of Claire. And also, I think uh, that Claire has numbers on her side as well. I think sending Charlie with Jin does help. Charlie seems someone who is someone who is obviously very game to help Claire, so you know that he's going to listen to Jack word for word. It's something that he can trust in this regard. So I think it was a good leadership decision from his part. This was probably the biggest test 
of Jack's leadership, obviously, considering that this is a crisis. He's very lucky in that, you know, it played directly into his skill set, but he can't be too divided here. This was the pressing concern. This was the more immediate thing that had to be taken care of, and he was able to dispatch others to carry forth his instructions. Uh, all right, so back to what's going on with Kate and Claire. Claire's contractions have, have stopped, and she's very excited, but whoops, then her water breaks, and she's in, like, severe, oh, no, 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 territory, and she's freaking out. I can't have the baby now. I can't have the baby now, and Kate's like, it's going to be fine. Jack's on his way. Everything's going to be okay, Ugh, except Jack's not on his way. Yeah, and I, it's so interesting watching Claire's storyline now from the perspective of someone who, you know, was in the room during the childbirthing process because— you definitely have this, this fantasy in your mind. Hell, we've seen Claire in many previous episodes be like, oh my god, I, I you know, oh, I'm gonna have this baby on the island, and, you know, Locke built a crib for me, even though I didn't realize what it was until the 11th hour. But there's something about what happens once the reality sets in that completely turns a switch. And that's what happens with here, Claire here, where even though she has talked about having the baby on the island, that it was going to be something that happens, once it actually does become a cemented reality... Panic understandably sets in because you're in the middle of the damn jungle. And so I feel so much for Claire here. And I really do not, you know, uh, I really do not want to shame her feelings whatsoever, whether it's her panicking over this or wanting to turn down Kate initially. It's a hugely complicated and arduous process that she's about to go through. And I think all her emotions are completely warranted. Let's go back to the caves. Let's actually listen in back at the caves with sound number three as Boone. Boone is going to speak up for himself. Screwed myself up pretty bad, huh? Hey. I like hurt. Don't try to move it. Can you breathe okay? It fell on me. What fell? A plane. It's a plane. Boom. Boom. Locke said you fell from a cliff. No. No, it fell. A plane. Let's go to the hatch. We found the hatch. Boom. Boom. Stay with me, man. Hey, stay with me. Meanwhile, Sight and Shannon are hard making out on a beach. <laughs> like, hard M.O. while Boone is uh, tragically mumbling. Yeah, well, Shannon. Boone has some loose lips as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I this this definitely, uh, I think this is like a natural extension of our Boone conversation from last week, right? Where he has kind of chosen in his final hours um, to, to be true to himself where he is uh he's opening up about something that is obviously very important to the mythology of the island in the hatch this thing that has been a secret between him and Locke um the fact that Jack is here 
pretty obviously fighting tooth and nail to save Boone's life. And Boone has these uh, like these lucid moments of clarity uh, throughout the, the episode and certainly here at the start of this conversation where he's like, I screwed myself up pretty bad. Uh, that I think that he knows at this point, like, Jack needs the full picture. He yeah. needs to know what happened to me, but he also needs to know about the hatch. Because, uh, like, I don't know that I can fully trust the guy that led me to the Beechcraft anymore. Uh, and I may be running out of time. So I got to get that information out there before I can't. And then pain takes over and, you know, just like the, the human body machine does what the human body machine does. And so he starts drifting out again. Um, but I love this scene from Boone. Uh, Boone's a star in this episode. Yeah, and Ian Somerhalder does a real, I mean, I can't. Such a good job. Ian Summerholder's yeah. so good at I dying. I cannot imagine what's... I know people say, like, <laughs> oh, acting job. drunk is the hardest thing to do, but I can't imagine, like, pretending like you're dying, realistically. And doing it in a way that isn't just, like, your tongue is hanging out, Yo, your I eyes are rolling tell, around. Tell my mother. Yeah. Like, do you know, the over-the-top soap opera way. He does it in a very like he does it in a very convincing, tragic, horrible way, but like also like in a way that's like kind of heroic too and sad. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I also great. love that line, screwing myself up pretty badly, huh? Because it not only refers to yeah. obviously the state of his body, but again, we talked about this last episode about the choices that Boone consciously makes that lead him to the position that he's in. And I think it's also sort of a reference to him looking back on his situation and being like this was sort of what I signed up for. This was the fate I, you know, conscripted myself to in deciding to say, hey, Locke, I'm not going to go back when we're looking for Claire. Hey, Locke, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep working with you on the hatch. Hey, Locke, I'm fine climbing up into that plane. I'm fine carrying you as we get to that beach craft. And I think him ruminating on the entire experience, much like you said, is a major reason why he decides to disclose so much to Jack. Totally. All right, so let's go to the beach. Side and Shannon, hard making out, and Shannon is thinking about Boone, uh, as Boone is thinking about her. Uh, and she tells Saeed that we're not blood-related, Boone and I, uh, and also he's kind of in love with me. And, like, Saeed, to his credit, like, takes the news decently well. He's like, okay, uh, how do you feel? How do you feel about all that? And she's like, uh, well, I always feel something, but I'm not in love, love with him. Um, but we're here for a while, and so is Boone. So... <laughs> How about that? Uh, and also, like, you're not here for a while, yeah. either, to, be, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's like, all right, we should probably go back then, right? She's like, no, I don't want to go back. Uh, and she says, no, no, I don't. Uh, I don't want to go back. I just need to take it a little slow. Are you all right with that? Syed says, I had no expectations. And Shannon's hysterical, or she's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Listen, you don't set right. up a fancy picnic like this and not have some sort of expectations. And, but Saeed, that, I love Saeed's line here, too, where he goes, hopes, not expectations, uh, is, is very honest and funny uh, and, and, and just wonderful. Uh, I, I, am, I have yet to be uh, shaken away from the Saeed and Shannon stuff is good and yeah. fun. Uh, I'm, I'm still enjoying it thoroughly uh, from the moment that it started uh, in Hearts and Minds a few episodes ago uh, to, to where we are now with it. I'm still enjoying it. It's just, it's so sad in retrospect because this is by far the happiest that Shannon's going to be for the rest of her time on the island. And you'd have to imagine how much guilt she's holding above her head when in this scene, you know, she had the offer from Saeed uh, to go back. It wasn't an expectation, but he thought like, hey, if you want to go back and see him uh, for whatever reason, and she says no. And I can understand why. I mean, even just from a, a uh, realistic perspective that here's a, a hot man in front of you. I think that for Shannon going back 
and like sort of squashing this date is almost taking a step back in their relationship, which I think is why she tells him right after that, like, I want to take it slow. It's her sort of like laying out some other expectations and that to her, this is sort of her saying, okay, I, here's this thing with Boone, just so you know, but I'm ready to move on to bigger and better things, which again is very unfortunate timing, but I think it's a very significant scene for Shannon in so many ways because she is going to move on in the fact that Boone is going to move on in a manner of speaking. All right. So back at caves, Jack is with Boone. Boone's not looking good. Jack's not oh, looking no. great. He looks uh, gaunt. Yeah, well, or goth, as Hurley is going to say. You, you all right, man? You're looking kind of goth. Uh, Jack is going to tell Hurley that Hurley needs to go and find Michael. Son pulls Jack from uh, blood transfusion duty also uh, and says, you've given him enough. And Jack really can't fight back because he's getting so weak because he's given up so much blood. He's also going to say, uh, like, this is not great. Everything is, everything's wrong with the leg. All the blood is collecting. There. I mean, it's compartment. We, we see it, and it's gnarly. It is like it looks like it's just swollen. It doesn't look good. It looks very bad. Uh, and uh, we didn't really remark on this in in the scene with Jack and Boone that we just listened to. But like, there's that moment when when Jack says, "What did Locke do? What hatch?" Where I feel like that's the turn. Mm. That's the turn between Jack and John Locke. That's the moment that Jack gets incepted with the idea of what did John Locke do to this kid? What did John Locke do? Uh, and even here when he's saying uh, he didn't get this injury from a fall, something crushed his leg. Like it's turnkey, right. uh, the information that Jack has, where he now knows like I've been treating this wrong. I haven't been prioritizing the thing that I needed to prioritize. And because I got the bad information, everything we've been doing for the last several hours never really mattered um so he's 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 almost like he's too low energy to like be like stark raving mad about it but just sucks it just sucks and the fact that he's able to stay business-minded about it at all i think is relatively impressive um let's go back to the past let's go back to flashback mode uh let's go back to the eve before the wedding and jack's father is finally going to show up but not for nothing by the way uh, where's Jack's mom? I don't know. She not she not come to the wedding. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I know that. Uh, actually, I don't know if were Margot were Margot and Christian still married at that her. point. Yeah, I think oh, so. Okay. Right, because she's the one who says like, "Hey, go to Australia. Go get go get your dad. You did this." And he's she's not here for the wedding. What do you? What does she got Ooh. going on? This is me just trying to talk myself into no. uh, thinking that maybe there's an LVP option that, that a, I can go to instead of I think of that's Boone. a great option considering <laughs> that hell looks like Christian. I mean, and also we should mention that <laughs> I think for filming conveniences, it looks like the the wedding takes place in Hawaii. My guess would be. Uh, so the fact yes. that you know Christian was making this umpteen hour flight uh, to get down there and Margot couldn't. It's very odd. It. Very odd. Come on. All right. Well, let's let's go in and listen in on some uh, some father son bonding time on the eve of the wedding. Hey, kiddo. Hey. How's the water? Oh, it's fantastic. Screaming kid next to me in first class. 
How does that happen, huh? <clears throat> what you got there? Oh, uh, Sarah wants us to write our own vows. heart skips beats at the sound of your voice. My skin warms to the touch of your fingers. Where you go, I will go, etc., etc. This is, this is very nice. <laughs> Those aren't my vows. Oh. Those are hers. Stolen out of the room. <laughs> Can't write mine. Yeah, well, you're a doctor. You're not a writer. <laughs> right. Right. Sarah is a beautiful girl. Hell yes, she is. You love her? Absolutely. Then why are you sitting out here? What if I can't be the husband or the, or the father that I want to be? What if I asked her because... Because I saved her life. Should I marry her, Dad? Commitment is what makes you tick, Jack. problem is you're just not good at letting go josh let me blow your mind here for wow. a second yeah do all right it. so do no harm the scene we just witnessed we have jack shepherd christian shepherd they are sitting poolside you know feet dangling in the water sharing a glass handle between them uh which probably you know doesn't help both of their some foreshadowing for Jack too, yeah. right? Like I love, I love how yeah, Jack's definitely like art. Like he's he's careening towards a future exactly for sure. Let's cut all the way to or I guess all the way back to a scene from Abaterno, which is one of the foundational scenes when it comes to explaining the mythos of the island. We have Jacob, who has a role that Jack will become eventually, and the Man in Black will eventually inhabit the body and spirit of Kristen Shepard sitting <laughs> near the water yeah. with a glass bottle yeah. between them. Yeah. I, it's, I, I, it's yeah. purely coincidental. I do not think they had this. this Ah, but at the, at the echo effect, yeah. right? Not the Mr. Echo effect, but the, the, the ripples throughout Lost are. I just think it's nice. so, it's so interesting and obviously a very different relationship. But the fact that these guys, I think it just maybe proves how like these types of relationships uh, just reverberate in all different types of locations. Uh, there were several points in watching this episode that really got to me personally. And interestingly enough, one... Did this remind you, Mike, of the time that you texted me on the eve of your wedding and I texted you back great, great uh, big brotherly advice about what you could expect from a lifetime of... Yeah, marriage. actually, that was kind of part of it. I think Jack's line... It's a true yeah. story, everybody. This isn't just me making a joke. 
Mike and I had a very tender moment on the night before your wedding where we were talking on text. I was at my brother's bachelor party. I don't I don't remember or I couldn't tell you. There were lots of candles going around. I can't tell you for sure if I was on hallucinogenics or not, but maybe I don't know. Uh, and and I I remember that conversation well, Aww. Mike. I I remember it being like a great moment of like, oh, this guy is about to embark on like one of the best days of his life, and certainly his life is about to change in this amazing way. I'd already met Angela. I think I, I'd hung out with Angela like twice, yeah, maybe so. at that point. Uh, and I was like, this guy, these these guys are going to be great. These guys are going to be super. And sad. that's the. It was a wonderful, and wonderful that's the thing. Time. First, this just proves that Josh Wiggler is, is the best person in existence for for you know being able to make that outrage because that the thing what even went on hallucinogenics. Yeah, the thing was maybe I, maybe can't confirm. Can't you, confirm. You probably understood why I so sorely needed it because Jack's line, "What happens if I can't be the husband or father that I want to be?" was permeating my mind. I would say the week of the wedding. I would say the day I proposed. I would say the day before the wedding. I would say the day of the wedding. I would say the hour before the wedding. And it translated into fatherhood as well. The day I found out that Angela was pregnant. The day we went to the birthing class. The day we found out it was going to happen. The minute it was about to happen. These these moments just flooded my memory. This paranoia of like, like, this is happening to me and I have no idea. If, if I'm adept for it, I have no idea if I'm the type of person that is meant to do this. And you were my Christian shepherd in that moment. Like you helped break things down for me in a way that made me realize that, you know, in a way, nobody's really ready for it and everybody's ready for it in that it's going to function differently for everybody. But you know you, or in Christian's case, you explain you to you and you're able to to move away from it. And we talked about it before. This is Christian's big statement about Jack. Commitment is what makes you tick. The problem is you're just not good at letting go. But what I love about it is, again, fast forward to season six, when Jack gives up his commitment to the island, the thing that makes him tick, his ticker stops, and he's finally able to let go. And it's a a really beautiful representation of the arc that this character undergoes into his final moments of life. Mike, when we are dead and we find each other in a sideways universe doing the do do at a square dance inside of a church, I will grab you by the shoulders and wake you up. That's how I love that. And we'll have all these flash memories of me just sitting in this mm-hmm. microphone. And talk. Like, it won't be. <laughs> and everyone else is going to be in the church. Count Jackula is going to be Scott there. Farkas. Scott Farkas is going to. Forrest yes. Whitaker will be there. Forrest Whitaker will be the church. <laughs> Just a big head of Forrest Whitaker, and he opens the mouth, and then you sit inside the teeth. Mike, do you know what I love from this scene, too, that I don't want to let pass is when Christian says, Sarah's a beautiful girl, and Jack goes, Yeah, it's so yeah, growing of like, Hell yeah, she is. Well, he's like, kind of like, he's like half cocked at that point, right? <laughs> like, he's half drunk at least at that point. So I just, I enjoy that moment of like, kind of like loosely inebriated Jack Shepard just saying, Hell yeah, she is. Uh, it's just a, a, a personal favorite, Jack. Yeah, I mean, this is an awesome moment. Again, you know, we have seen, even through only four flashbacks, so many different shades of Christian Shepard, from the reprehensible, strict personality he showed in White Rabbit and All the Best Daddies, to the remorseful, guilt-ridden person we saw in Outlaws, to a legitimately advising good father in this moment here. Uh, it's an extremely complicated character that's only going to be fleshed out more it's a great scene between these two guys as well and 
you know, Christian uh, pulls out a nice little Star Trek reference. You're a doctor, not a writer. But again, it goes back to those occupational roles we keep seeing of, I'm sure Locke would say, you know, uh, you're the doctor, don't be the writer. Uh, let, I don't know, uh, let Gary Troop be the writer, you know? Right, right. Well, they don't have a writer, so uh, I guess Claire, she's the journalist. She's journaling yeah. in her diary. Yeah, I, I guess she, she, she writes things, which I guess nobody else does. So I guess that by default makes her the writer of the island. Well, Michael's the artist, and right now he's also the the builder uh, of a guillotine that they're basically making out of uh, like a piece of uh, of the plane deep into caves. Jack has Michael, and uh, he's telling him about how Locke lied and that Boone's leg got pinned under something, and uh, the leg is dead. And they like test it out on a, a piece of wood that they chop with the guillotine, and Jack says. There's no other choice. And he's like dripping sweat and he just looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh God, what yeah, are we that's about? That's why to you do? know after you give blood, they like make you sit there for a while and like eat a couple of cookies. Jack was not given that luxury. He stumbled out of the Red Cross van and had to like do do a marathon, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Uh let's go back to Kate and Claire in the jungle uh we've got uh we've got everybody there now charlie and Jin are there as well uh but it's really going to be mostly kate and claire that we are listening in on here with sound number five claire i think it's about time you're supposed to start pushing okay so uh, push and don't hold your breath honey you're not gonna be able to push if you hold claire claire what are you doing Oh, no, 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 Claire, you need to push right now. Don't do this, Claire, okay? You can't stop this. This is happening. Your baby is coming, and I need your help. It's not that it want me. What? It knows I don't want it, and I was going to give it away. Babies know that stuff. Do you want this baby now? Hmm? You want it to be healthy and safe. Okay. And your baby knows that too. You're not alone in this. We are all here for you. This baby is all of ours. But I need you to push. Okay? Okay. Okay. You can't through. Ready? One, two, Three push. Good. Good push. Good. Good push. Push. At this point in the episode, Josh, I'm just like reaching for a tissue box. Like I'm, I need to keep this by my side because this is like the second time in like yeah. a five minute period. Because oh, it's just so between the writing and especially Evangeline uh, Lilly and and, and Emily Garavin too. And then we let ravage. Like they so both did such a great job of again seeing Claire's understandable apprehension and anxiety. It's heartbreaking when her fears bubble to the surface, and she's like, "This baby's." It's, it sounds irrational, but again, in those moments of like fear, you find your your weirdest paranoia just sort of taking over and saying, "This baby's not going to like me because it, it knew that I wanted to get rid of it." And uh, Kate, Kate's line about you know you're not alone in this. We are all here for you. This baby is all of ours. Especially, especially mine, mine. but especially I mean, mine. it's again, it's an incredible sign of like what a community the island has become, and I, I love that line so much because 
it's essentially, you know, really hammering home this this image of it takes a village to raise a child. And we're going to see that where, yes, Claire's character is going to go in very interesting directions, especially in the back half of the series. But this is going to be a child that's that's raised by these losties that that is going to be taken care of. And, you know, it's that serves as a significant step in the community that they actually have something that they are universally, you know, lording over. Oh, man. I mean, just like watch that scene and tell me this isn't an A plus episode. You know, get out of here. It's just so good. And Evangeline Lilly is so good. And everybody's so great. And, you know, Kate is presiding over the birth of her own child, kind of. You know, like this is just like the, the, the stuff of epicness when you come back and you watch scenes like this with the full scope. Yeah, and, and, and it's All right, and it's such a oh, before we get into that, and it's also just yeah, such yeah. a great I think this is a big transitional moment for Kate as well because we see for most of this episode she's like okay jack is going to do this i don't think we talked about it but you know we see charlie and Jin quickly run back and they say oh yeah jack says you have to deliver the baby uh and kate's like oh my god i don't think i can do that and this is a moment where i think claire or kate becomes more assured you know like we we hear her in the beginning of the clip she's like okay um so yeah just just push you know but i think the more clarity and the more confidence she gets in her voice, you know, she's almost telling herself that she can do this as much as she's telling Claire. And I think that's a really great beat for someone who is known for running away all the time. This is a moment where she cannot run away. And almost, as a result, she has to really change her behaviors and really showcase different sides of her personality by staying there and making sure that this thing is, you know, sought through to the end. Yeah. With that said, she's still going to steal a dead woman's passport yeah. and try to I was going to say, she's not going to uh, keep, keep, keep that mentality for long. But at least in this moment, she yeah. under, we see a different side of her. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, back at the caves, Boone's coughing up blood. That's uh, an escalation. Yeah. Jack's like, no, that's mine. <laughs> that's not Stop good. it. <laughs> that's not good. And Sun's like, hey, he's bleeding inside. He's not going to be all right. You can't save him, Jack. And here comes Jack with John Locke's signature line. Don't tell me what I can't do, he mm-hmm. says to Son. Hey, Jack, that's Locke's line. Well, well, well Locke okay? is in here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Locke left. Uh, Locke came with Boone, but he left alone. Um, all right, they position Boone by the guillotine. Jack tells Mike, like, you don't have to be here for this. You don't need to see this part. And Michael's like, Cool. I was gonna just hang here because I didn't feel like I could like get away with leaving. But since you are absolving me, I'm gonna take you up on that. Um, shout if you need me. But yeah. peace out. Uh, so Michael leaves, and Jack has Boone's leg in the guillotine, and he raises the lid. Uh, he's getting ready to do the thing, and we get one last flashback in the episode, and we get to see what Jack came up with for these vows. <laughs> In sickness, in health, in good times and bad, I risk it all because I love you. Thank you, Sarah. Jack has also prepared these vows. Jack, if you would, please. Jack? I didn't write any vows. I've been trying to for a month, but I couldn't. And 
So I started to wonder why that was. And as time went on, it only got worse. Because um, because I'm not good at letting go. Or maybe I'm afraid of what'll happen if I fail. But I know one thing. I would have never been able to write anything as beautiful as what you just said. And last night, Sarah, when you were talking about the accident, you got it all wrong. I didn't fix you. You fixed me. I love you, Sarah. And I always will. <laughs> yes! yes! Big smoochies! Big smoochies! And everyone is happy because Jack... Uh, he he improvised. <laughs> yeah, Jack should go to like UCB he, if he's not doing surgery anytime soon. He bombed the deadline, uh, but he still landed with the line. I mean, that's his yeah. line. I didn't fix you. You fixed Ooh. me. You son, Jack Shepard. Smooth and. And if he hadn't already clinched his MVP point this week, I'd be like, that's fine. And I'm glad he finished away because I felt so bad for Sarah. Julie Bowen does a great job just showing the roller coaster of emotions of like when, you know, he reveals to uh, the stash laden priest of like, I didn't prepare any vows. She's. Yeah. The priest, by the way, who's like shitting his jeans. Who's like, uh, Jack, you definitely you're going to say. But so she's pissed. Then she's sad, then she's sort of confused, and then she ends up being really touched by it, understandably so. I mean, it's a very, you know, pertinent line from Jack. Again, he has this this, yeah, this really uh, yeah. penchant for fixing things. It turns out in this case, you know, he is the one who's being fixed. He acknowledged that, you know, he is a broken person. And at least for the moment, he believes that he needed to hand control over for somebody to fix him. I also, one of, I think that my favorite thing that I might have discovered as a recurring motif with these episodes is how damn good the cutovers from Island to Flashback and vice versa are in terms of pertinence. Like the fact that we start, we cut to the wedding when Sarah's doing the vow in sickness and in health. Like that's just so damn fun considering what's going on in the island. The writers do such a great job. There'll be a couple moments next episode especially that I want to get into. They just do such a great job of almost seamlessly transitioning where both, you know, it's sort of like the center of the Venn diagram where that line can apply to both situations. For sure. By the way, uh, I don't, I don't believe that Jack didn't write his vows. Here's, I I think that like, there's, there's such a dramatic arc to the vows that he eventually delivers that he like the night before he got like this, like harebrained, uh, drunk galaxy (laughs) brain idea. Where it's like, you know what? Here, okay, I got it. I, I freaking cracked the vows. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out, Scott Farkas. But this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. I'm probably the, the the moment's gonna make me cry anyway. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start crying, and I'm gonna tell Sarah that I've been trying to write vows for months. I couldn't write my vows. I couldn't figure it out. 
But maybe it's because of this central issue that I deal with in my life where this kind of thing is hard for me. And so I will be so vulnerable that I will say the most vulnerable thing I could possibly imagine. And it's the line. It's the line, Scott. This is the oh, line. You, you mean you're going to quote our favorite, our favorite song by DJ Drinks on me? <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is the last line of that song that we haven't heard on the, the song before. I didn't fix you. You fixed me. And Scott Farks is like, dude, yes, yes, yes. But, get up there. But the you're first thing you're going to do, we're going to put 16 beers in you just to make sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. guess I, so I, I, think that's I what happened. could subscribe to that theory. I guess it depends on uh, if you believe that the live together, die alone speech was, uh, you know, just sort of rolling off the tongue or if he prepared that. I buy it. I buy it. I buy that he prepared it. I buy that he like he got he's found the caves and he's coming back. It's like I'm gonna have to tell these people something really epic to get them to come to the caves. Uh, live together, die alone. That's got a real. Good so I think maybe it. instead of being an improviser, Jack maybe Jack in the Dosi Dough universe wouldn't have been a surgeon. He would have been like uh, a salesman, uh, or he would have been like a Don Draper ass esque like pitch man because he's really good at writing wow. taglines. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Maybe Jack is the writer. Oh I'm yeah, maybe it's like yeah. oh, your doctor, not a writer. Well, just wait until I die, and then maybe I'll be the writer I was meant to be. All right, so the way that this plays out is we get from that flashback right back to a scene that we will listen to. Uh, it will be back to the guillotine, uh, and Jack is about to chop off Boone's leg, uh, but Boone is going to have a hero moment of his own. Let's listen in penultimate sound. If I don't, I'm all mad. You know it. This is our best chance. There's no chance. I mean, Boone is a superhero for having the lucidity to and and the clarity in this moment to be like, I'm going to die, man. Do not chop off my leg. Do not let me die legless. Do not waste all of your energy, all of your supplies, your literal blood on a lost cause. I'm dying, man. I'm going to die. Look where we are. 
I know you made a promise, and I know that this is hard for you, and I can sense that this is tough because I think it would probably be very tough for me as well. But I'm dead. You're good. This isn't your fault. Uh, how how can I how can I give this man an no, I I don't think you can. It's Boone. I don't Boone think I can. Such has been. He's a superhero. I mean, he's been such episode. a self-sacrificial character both last episode and this one as well that it's it's really interesting to see him go out like this. This goes back to my theory as well. Josh, I think if you take away Let Me Go Jack and you take what he says here, I think he could say the exact same thing to Shannon. And I think sure. it would make a lot of sense too. You know, I'm all honest up inside. Might refer to the fact that he's been crushing on his stepsister. Uh, there's no chance, really. Understandably so. Look where we are. Look at the situation we're in. I know you made a promise. I'm letting you off the hook. It could almost be a weird way for yeah. Boone's brain to be like, I'm at peace with whatever Shannon does now. Not only because I'm going, but because I finally acknowledge the fact that, you know, I have this weird emotional attachment and that shouldn't be her fault. So, I mean, that's that's what makes me at least a little more hopeful for even though again Shannon doesn't say get to say goodbye to Boone, Boone is at least making peace with Shannon. Uh, that maybe his words end up being directed to two people, even if one person isn't there. Yeah, I like that. But I mean, Jack is the is the receiver oh, yeah. of these words at the very least in the moment, and I love how they land with him as well, and just sort of like the the. Um, I don't know if I, if I would say like a quiet calm about Jack. There's like a resignation I, to Jack I, for the rest of the episode. And he's like, I'm going to I'm like, I, I, I'm going to accept your request. I'm not going to love it, um, but I'm going to sit with you through the rest of this transition. Yeah. Um, and for a guy whose bedside manner is like famously terrible, uh, I think Jack does a really good job on Boone's. Way I mean, out Boone is essentially like signing his own DNR request, which I think Jack yeah. It still is sort of business as usual for Jack, though, because I feel like from a doctor's perspective, he almost is honoring his patient's wishes. And you have to imagine, you know, is he providing more emotional attachment because this is Boone? Is he is he trying to divorce it because he doesn't want to get too emotionally overwhelmed? But I agree the way that Matthew Fox reacts to this and sort of internalizes it. And I think it's also finally a chance for him to, like, sit in it when you've had, you know, he had his break for air. But pretty much since then, he's been going nonstop. His blood has been going nonstop into Boone. I think this is a moment for everything to finally hit Jack, including the reality of, he's right. This is a mountain you can't get over, buddy. And to see that hit him all at once is is a really interesting acting moment. But, you know, uh, we're, we're about to see Boone really start to expire. But I think this is really the most climactic part of the episode. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, you know, what happens here for the rest of the episode is is just masterful, right? I mean, because this is Boone basically saying, I'm dead, let me go. And meanwhile, back in the middle of the jungle, Kate is successfully guiding Claire towards giving birth to Aaron. Uh, the child of the Isle is born. Um, you know, she she's able to, to follow the instructions to the letter. She overcomes her own fear in order to do this. This is massively impressive. Kate is clinching some oh, yeah. MVP points in this moment as well, as is Claire. Yeah, and Claire I was believe. clinching beforehand uh, to keep that baby in. <laughs> you know, uh, and everyone's so happy. And Jin, this is a great Jin moment where he's holding his hand out to Charlie. Like he'd hand him a cigar, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I want, I want to uh, talk about this scene just like on its own for a second. Because I want, we'll talk about the Boone stuff beforehand. And I mean, it's absolutely beautiful 
uh, and so damn on the nose, but so damn good that we have birth and death within the course of, what, like, 15 seconds of each other. But, I mean, obviously, from personal perspective, I, like, wept through this scene, much like baby Aaron will be doing during his time on the island. I mean, it just, for me, it was like season six, where it just brought back so many memories for me. And obviously, it was not a a one-to-one process, but there's something about, you know, uh, your child like actually emerging into the world that you currently occupy in the space that you're in that is just like so indescribable. And I had those moments just come flashing back to me. And like Kate, you know, uh, just beaming and saying, it's your baby. And Claire, what clinches the scene for me is Claire personally, because Emily Duravan expressed all this fear and negativity and anxiety throughout the episode. And just to see her like, exhale and smile and cuddle this baby close to her chest and just like let out through tears i have a son i have a son it's really it's getting me emotional right now just talking about it uh and i love all the character reactions are so on brand as well like charlie is in shock because he is such like a big uh over-the-top reactor jin is so interesting because again now knowing what we know he is beaming from ear to ear, and you have to think from his perspective. It's yeah. a happy uncle. Well, and this uncle. also, this is a guy who, from, from right now, thinks he's never going to get this opportunity. Thinks he is never going to right? have a son or have a daughter. And so, like, almost by proxy, he is just so overcome by the emotions of this moment. Like, it's a really interesting quartet that happens to come together, but it's almost the right quartet to see the reactions, the relationships they have with each other. This show uh, has pretty strong instincts when it comes to um, finding the right character combination for the moment. Um, this is, uh, I think, uh, again, because there's so many great examples of it, I think that this is one that doesn't get talked about a lot. But Charlie, Jin being witnesses to Claire giving birth with Kate guiding Aaron into the world is really excellent. Not to mention... Sawyer is yeah. nearby, right? I mean, like, you don't see him in this episode, but we will see in season five as the people who are left behind on the island are tripping through time. Sawyer is going to be not very far away from this moment watching the woman that he loves help uh, Aaron come into the world. Uh, and so he gets to be kind of like this sad, somber witness to this as well. And he, in that moment, is being reminded of the lives that are now gone. Right. Because as far as he knows, these people are, are, are dead. Right, he he believes Charlie. He knows Charlie's dead. Uh, he believes Jin and Kate are dead because the freighter blew up, uh, and he doesn't know where the hell Claire yeah. is. Uh, so, like, it's a it that's a life and death moment that Sawyer's experiencing as well that we're not even seeing here. Uh, so there's there's a lot happening in this moment. You know, within the context of the episode, we just you know we can only really grade it by what's happening in the context of the episode. And on that level alone, it's a plus material. So add like a, a few extra pluses when <laughs> when you throw time travel and Sawyer into the mix. Um, but then Boone dies, man, and like this is like you said, it's like all in the space of just like basically like the same few minutes is the way that it's being presented. That Aaron is alive and now Boone is not. And Jack is there with Boone. I mean, he um, literally lets him go. He, like, lays him down in what's yeah. going to be his final resting lays spot. Him down. Yep. And Boone, like, you know, gasps out his last words. Tell Shannon, tell Shannon, tell Shannon. And he doesn't finish them. And I like to think it's to start watching Lost. And he's talking to Shannon Gates. <laughs> uh, or he's saying, tell Shannon, Shannon happy, happy wedding. 
happy wedding uh but seriously start watching lost uh and that's it for boone uh and he he dies and the the moment is awful and really really sad and it's it's a bfd mike like this is this is the this is the first main character death and they just i think they treat it with the gravity that it requires uh because it is it's such a big ensemble lost and uh you know that's one of the draws is that they they threw in so many different main characters into the mix so that you could like find somebody that you you really gravitated towards if some characters weren't your cup of tea then you were pretty much guaranteed to have a few that you would uh connect with and i don't think that boone is like the you know a top pick for the ones that uh people were connecting with the most necessarily but just the fact that somebody from that original core crew didn't make it any further than this you know got to episode 20 and did not progress uh is a is a really big deal and it's just it's treated very seriously uh, and and I appreciate it so much. Um, yeah, yeah. And then there's the end. Yeah, of the and episode. I think that what really helps as well is they give it so much time, and it's so exactly. Pain- yeah, they give it its entire a whole. Yeah, and episode. like compare that, unfortunately, to like Shannon who gets shot at the end of uh, one episode and sort of I guess dies into the next one, or you know some of these other characters that end up just sort of being killed immediately. I guess Lost really wanted to present this idea to us we talked about it before that the advertising especially leading into the 2005 back half of the season was a major character is going to die this season and i think now loss was really presenting what it was initially presenting in the series bible which was you know theoretically anybody could be in danger at any point in time and now that we officially know that now they can not necessarily have to have big, drawn-out death episodes for everybody. The deaths can be much more quicker and therefore much more painful because, you know, we're seeing them one second and all of a sudden they're gone. But this was so important and the show was making such a statement here on so many levels that I'm so glad they gave them the space to do that. All right, so we'll paint the picture because we're going to play sound number eight and it's going to go on for a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the entire gonna- last act, I think. It's the it's the it's the last act basically of the episode that we're gonna play in its entirety, and it's gonna be most mostly music driven. It's gonna be mostly Giacchino's score, and then there's gonna be some dialogue at the end. So to paint the picture before you listen to it, uh, for those who have not watched it recently, this is the life and death montage, and and Claire is coming back to the beach with everybody, and she's holding her baby, and everybody's gonna take a look, and uh, Walt is gonna be super cute when he sees the baby uh and even sawyer uh is going to be really sweet when he's looking at turnip head and even jack is finally there checking in on the baby uh and as everyone is having this joyous moment hurley is gonna grab jack and be like look Ugh. who's coming back and it's Syed and shannon who this is Sh- shannon's final really happy yep. moment on the island right like this is Syed and shannon have just come back from uh, a, a wonderful <laughs> overnight stay in, in on Date Beach. Um, and she's about to get the worst news of her life or one of the worst things that's ever, you know, that she's ever heard. Uh, and Jack's going to walk up to them and Kate's going to watch from a distance. And as Jack is approaching, Shannon's instantly going to be able to tell that something mm-hmm. is wrong. Um, but everybody is still surrounded by Aaron and everybody is um, so hip to the new life. And it's going to be Shannon very uh, lonely and alone with Boone crying over his dead body, and it's going to be some mesmerizing cry yeah. acting she, from Maggie She, Grace. like, falls apart, and it is beautiful. Subtle. It's, it's subtle at first. It's subtle at first, and then it becomes hysterical, and she's just shaking. And Ian Summerhalder is doing some terrific <laughs> dead acting, uh, where he's just very still. Uh, but, but, you know, obviously, because the actor is still alive, but, like, it, he just... 
he 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 it looks surreal to be staring at Boone's yeah. body in that moment. Uh, and we'll cut away from that to Jack wearily going to the edge of the beach on his own, and then Kate's going to walk up to him. And we'll close out the episode on a note that takes a real turn for like the haunted uh, by by the end of this. So, with all that picture painted in your mind, listen in to sound number eight. We'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll get into the other section. healthy baby want to talk about it talk about what you didn't die jack you didn't die he was murdered what jack where are you going Find John Locke. 
uh, it's such a good ending. Uh, like for so many reasons, right? Like the the next level. Oh yeah, I mean, it's. I go out on a limb, and we're going to be listening to a lot of Giacchino, obviously through the years, but. Life and Death is probably my favorite song that he's done in Lost. Yeah, it's just yeah, so yeah, 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 beautiful. Yeah. Also, I, I know that piano is an instrument that he obviously uses a lot, but I mean, so damn pertinent with Jack tickling the ivories earlier in the episode, right? That it's the piano that's the big recurring melody throughout. Yeah, yeah, but it's no laughing matter, right? Because like, it's uh, it's 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 sad. It's but it's also. It's also joyous in in certain right. contexts, and it, it you know it's like it's hopeful and and powerful and like uh, look a new day has dawned uh, to to quote something else uh, you know it's it's got this this powerful feeling of like the sun rising but also the sun setting and that's that's exactly what it's going for that's exactly what it's aiming for um, and there's a reason why when like if you close your eyes and just try to hear lost. I think that this is going to be one of the first yep. things you hear. Is is what it's, we it's an amazing, like you said, it, it's an, it's a universal donor of a song. It it could be used right, for really yeah. any sort of emotion, and that's why it's used for this particular type of ending. Where, like you said, there is so much light and so much darkness simultaneously happening to the, to the point where there's a point in the scene that I think is so beautiful yet ugly at the same time, where it cuts from Claire absolutely beaming, holding Aaron, showing him off to everybody. To Shannon, grief-stricken, hovering over the only other person that, you know, she has such a close connection to on the island. And I think he's able to tread both territories so well. This will definitely not be the last time we hear this theme, but it just does such a good job of, like you said, being such a great representation of just what Lost is in general and what Lost is capable of. All right, let's get into the others because we've got a lot of business still to attend to here as we are wrapping up uh do no harm and before we even get in to do no harm mike uh deus ex machina we've got we've got a uh, we've got a holdover uh for deus ex machina this is coming our way from bill hall who writes in and says Locke is such a tragic character living a life unrealized longing for true meaning and the jumping off point from there is that even once what should be happiness seems to come his way it is thwarted at every turn. Locke thinks he finds meaning just to be punished and have the rug pulled out from under him, not just by his dad, but by the island and frickin' Ben Linus, too. God, I love all things Locke. Deus ex machina wrecks me every time. That's from Bill Hall. And Bill, I agree with you about that in every single sense of the word, except we're not talking about Deus ex machina anymore. We're talking about do no harm and Locke lied. He's a liar. And Boone's dead now. He's dead, Bill. He's oh, dead. Oh, my goodness. Maybe I should calm you down by talking about the ants. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, my I mean, yeah, God. But Bill, I mean, Bill obviously doesn't realize this. No, it's not on with all of that, but it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's the thing is like, uh, obviously, Bill, Bill didn't Tough know timing. this, but I totally agree uh, with him. I, I basically uh, helped echo what he said last podcast when I said that the really saddest thing about the end of Deus Ex Machina is because we know it's going to happen again and again and again. He's really talking uh, greatly, Bill, about the Sisyphean journey that Locke has pushing the boulder up to a top of a mountain where he thinks he'll receive happiness. Sisyphean is uh, what uh, Sawyer uh, was thought to have had before we found out it was not uh, Yeah, STD. exactly. Uh, he was, he was really scrounging through the antibiotics, but nothing could help cure that. But yeah, I think right. uh, it's a great summary of Locke as a character. And again, 
though he is the only main cast member to not be in this episode, he spurred these events. Speaking of another boulder, like he pushed a boulder that helps keep everything rolling and spurred this big landslide of events along. And as we just saw at the end of the episode, uh, Locke's, Locke's getting something coming to him very soon. All right, other number two, getting into Do No Harm and specifically the death of Boone and why it happened. And the great Ben behind the curtain collated a few different interviews uh, with people involved either in the decision or in the execution of the death, uh, including a Damon Lindelof interview with Vox, uh, Jeff Jensen at EW, who interviewed Ian Summerhalder and Carlton Cuse uh, all the way back in 2005, as well as an interview with, uh, with, with Ian Summerhalder back in 2015 and we'll link to all of that in the show notes rather than relitigating all of it here i think there's some really fascinating reading to be done if you want to dig deeper into the decision to kill boone uh so i'll just what i'll read is i'll I'll read what lindelof said uh lindelof said there are characters like shannon and boone that just by the the byproduct of how young they were we knew that we weren't going to be able to sustain them for very long because they would have a very finite number of flashback stories. For Jack, it was like, okay, so we cast a 40-year-old actor, give or take, and we'll be able to write flashback stories that happened in his early 20s, all the way up until right before he got on the plane, and Matthew Fox can play Jack in all of those flashback stories. But Shannon and Boone, it's like a two-year period if we're staying with the characters or 21 or 22 that we can write them in, before we have Ian Summerhalder and Maggie Grace playing 14-year-old versions of themselves. It just didn't feel like there was a lot of story juice there to explore. Um, so the flashback mm. structure, is that... I mean, I know we're, we're you know pointing fingers at Locke for lying about what happened to Boone, but is it the structure of the show, Mike, that killed Boone I'm and I'm more Shannon? inclined to believe the Carlton Cuse version, which I'll just read briefly or paraphrase. He essentially said that it was the narrative that killed Boone, that they felt yeah. like they were setting up this big conflict between Jack and Locke. And unfortunately Boone's death is, you know, a big point to draw a line in the sand that, okay, we are extremely different people because you let this kid die on your watch in order to get, do something that you were dishonest with us about. And I will never trust you again because of that. I personally like to think, and also uh, and then there's another thing, like you said, the Ian Summerhalter interview, I think Ian Summerhalter is way way too modest to the point of self-deprecation of him being like oh i was such a bad actor so that's why they kicked me off the show right because i honestly think if anything it was either the narrative or it was like the character i mean i don't want to necessarily like say in summer all there's a master class actor but there's only so much you can do with this type of character to the point where even when back when he wasn't boom when he was five the the character was meant to be this like waspy young guy and so I feel like, yeah. unfortunately, the reason why he gets saddled with so much negativity is just because, like, they wanted to do that for him. Ian Summerhalder tried his best, but unfortunately, the character is supposed to embody some of these characteristics from the real world that we don't like. So personally, I subscribe to the idea that, you know what, it just had to be. It was a sacrifice the show demanded. Because, uh, you know, if, if that's the case with the flashbacks, then you look at season three and you're like, you could change that game and you decide like not to rack your brains for that type of stuff when you're saying, "Oh, we don't, we can't do 14 year old Shannon and Boone." Go ahead and do 14 year old Shannon and Boone. Just don't bring on Maggie and Ian for that. Let me see the origin story of Teresa. Let me see how uh, Adam Rutherford and Boone's mom 
met, you know? Yeah, but we're, y- we're young in the show at this point, right? And, like, they're not thinking that way yet. Um, and so I think as they're not thinking that way yet of, like, uh, we, we can do a cabin fever type thing where we don't have to have Terry O'Quinn in the flashback and people are still going to be interested enough in John Locke that they want to know what John Locke was like as a kid. Uh, they're not there yet. And I honestly don't know that there was going to be so much that was so interesting about Boone and Shannon that you would want to explore their childhoods anyway, unless they became like very, very, very different characters from who they end up becoming. And maybe there was a version of this story where, where that was really compelling. Uh, maybe there was a version of this story where where Boone's like um, ascension from a veritable pawn to being some kind of like self-made king and like actually being like the person he thought that he was maybe with a little bit of a darker edge even could have been compelling but I don't think it would have been more compelling um, than Mm. what we got Uh, I think that his death here really does work and I think for like the logic in the room at the time of what they were working with with flashbacks, which was still a pretty young idea for them, I think I, I understand the logic for for killing Boone. I forgive it a lot more than uh, than what happens with Shannon because at that point they've got a lot longer yeah. to think about um, how they can how they can expand some stories. And I I think that I do think that they did Shannon dirty, but I don't think that they did Boone dirty. Though Ian Summerhalder does tell the story. About how uh, he'd like just bought a house in Hawaii and then he got the call. They're like, hey, so you're going to die. <laughs> that sucks. Well, I mean, <laughs> you could say like, hey, what are you gonna hang do? around. That's Maybe life. we'll have some characters trip balls some more so you could, halluc- so you could appear. Right, Maybe we'll right, do more right. Shannon episodes. But yeah, I mean, I think looking forward like i wonder when we see jacob touch the two of them at adam rutherford's funeral like maybe that could have been an episode you know like i'm sure there's an entire podcast right. we could do of like he- headcanon writing possible boone and shannon flashbacks but i could understand like you said in the moment they're not only looking for a big moment but they're looking at their characters and being like whose stories can we really expand upon and i feel sure, like boone sure. at, specifically is probably at the bottom of that list all right, let's go to other number three, and uh, this is the third Jack Shepard flashback of Lost uh, here in, in season one and of the series. Uh, Damon Lindelof, in an interview with Vox, a different interview, uh, talks about Matthew Fox, not Vox, uh, and is talking about Do No Harm and specifically why there were so many Jack Shepard flashbacks. So this is a big quote from Mr. Lindelof. He says, Matthew, I think, is underrated. That's reductive when talking about someone's performance because it's a way of saying they should have gotten a lot more praise than they ended up getting. But I was always constantly blown away by his level of engagement in the show. During the first season of the show, my wife and I were having breakfast at this restaurant and she was like, shut up. She nodded her head subtly behind me and I could hear that the two women at the table behind us were talking about Lost. One of them was a fan of the show and the other had never seen the show. And the one who was the fan was talking to the one who hadn't seen it and explaining to her what it was. The way she was describing it was like, oh, my God, it's Wacky Town. Why would anybody watch this if the show is being described uh, Fun fact, way? Wacky Town was the alternate name for Lost. <laughs> yes. Uh, off continues, Lost was an exercise in tone because the show was so ridiculous. But Matthew Fox never behaved as if he was on the most ridiculous show in the world. He behaved like all these things were really happening. From the moment that he comes stumbling out of the jungle to the moment that he closes his eyes, he was absolutely 100% committed to the fact that this was all really real. That's why we kept going back to the Jackwell, because he was so convincing. 
It always felt like the avant-garde idea would be for Jack to be not an anti-hero, but a hero hero, that he was always well-intentioned and always wanted to do the right thing and had a certain kind of nobility to him. Michael Emerson never had to do that. He could say, God, any milk because he's the villain, but the hero can't ever do that. It's a thankless job to be the protector of mm. the tone. Um, it's a really compelling way to sketch out Matthew Fox and his contributions to the show, the protector of the tone. Um, and I think that the, the, the buzzword that I take out of Lindelof's assessment is convincing. And I think that that's right. I think that that is something about Matthew Fox's work as Jack Shepard is it's very convincing. You believe that he's there. And whether there is the island or the operating room or deep, deep depressive alcoholism, right? Grieving his father. You believe that he's there. You believe that he's where he's sitting. Um, and I think that that is an underrated quality about Lost is Matthew Fox. That's commission. interesting because my, the buzzword that I took was committed because of what we just sketched out of Jack from our episode recap. And I know that Damon's approach to characterization often is he'll have, you know, a basic idea for the character at first, but he'll mainly pay attention to how the actor takes the role and how they interact with others. And I really wonder how much of this Jack is overly committed to, you know, fixing things and, and his work was informed by Matthew Fox's behavior around set. You know, I, I feel like it's no coincidence that the character who is the most committed to the point where people have to tell him, breathe, sleep, let me off the hook, is someone who Lindelof said is the most committed actor on the set. Right, 100%. Um, other number four, Stefan Johnson wants a eulogy. Ooh, a boology. A boology. Uh, a boology, yes. Um, I don't know. I, I think that we've been eulogizing him. You know, I, I don't know that I can do like the evolution and strategy thing here necessarily and give like a succinct eulogy. It's certainly not going to be nope. You know, that's not where I'm going with Boone. I think that uh, Boone, I think there's a lot to say about Boone. But I think that we've spent two episodes eulogizing him. Uh, and I think that uh, we're going to eulogize him again yeah. next week. Well, I think, uh, I think I know, say, know, should we just copy him. Saeed's uh, eulogy, get to, get to it before he does? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know, Boone! Or I'll do luck. Uh, he was a hero. Uh, he was a uh, hero. Yeah, I think that, you know, we did a good... If we're going to eulogize Boone, we got to be wearing bloody T-shirts. And then we all point. run a business. Uh, yeah, I think that yeah. I think the thing that people should take away from Boone and that I certainly have over the course of this rewatch is Boone is definitely one of the more crapped upon characters for the reasons that I think I ascribed before and that the character qualities are not the most positive. But I would say take a look at these last couple of episodes and tell me that Boone at least doesn't end on a, a satisfying note as a character which, again, can't be said about his stepsister, but I am satisfied with the arc of Boone overall, from where we see him scrounging around for seven pens to help Jack, to him then telling Jack, let me off the hook, let me die for the sake of everybody else. I, I think it's a really well-made arc over the course of 20 episodes. Uh, other number five, this is a note about the ending from Daniel Brennan. Uh, Daniel Brennan wrote in and said, do you like the episode's ending? I think I would have preferred if life and death played to the end to conclude on a poignant note, maybe even with Jack crying. I wanted to end the episode with the feels, but instead we're left with a gut punch of a whole different sort. I think this is interesting, Mike. Obviously, we talked about the beauty of the Giacchino score, um, but what about the fact that it ends with Jack 
refusing to take any real time to rest and meditate on what's just happened and instead springing back into action to go find Boone's killer, John Locke in his mind. Um, Is that the appropriate ending given what we learned about Jack in this episode or would it have been better for him to kind of just collapse? From at least a viewer perspective, uh, I would have personally like ended ended with life and death uh, just because it's so beautiful and it's so weighty. And I think we need and deserve that moment to just sort of sit with the whiplash we just felt but i think it's also purposeful that we're not given that luxury you know if if this is supposed to take us along for a ride with the castaways especially with someone like matthew fox who treats this so realistically then it makes sense as an ending i guess just from an emotional perspective i probably would prefer something that more so marinated in the life and death of it all but i think that it makes sense with jack that, that's get. the thing is like it makes sense i don't like it but it makes sense but it also it makes sense with jack and it makes sense with the episode uh because it's jack's story is the way that this episode is framed and jack's whole thing what he walks away from his wedding with is uh he doesn't let go he's he's committed he's committed to the cause and he's always looking for something to fix so boone's dead it's broken mission is a failure time for the next mission time to get right back up and pound the pavement again uh, and get back out into the universe and solve the next problem. It's very, very Jack Shepard. It's among the most Jack Shepard moments in all of Lost. Right. I think maybe it's just because uh, we are soon upon my favorite, one of my favorite episode endings in the raft launch, uh, how essentially the entire last like seven or so minutes of Exodus part one are wordless even when we show the smoke lingering in the distance to a hint of the menace that's coming it still does not have any dialogue and maybe that's just me sort of projecting that i wish this final act was also wordless but like you say said there's value also the, in just yeah shocking us back to reality well the other piece of it too mike is that the ending of this episode is like a, a seminal moment for for lost certainly um you know first season of lost um, for all of the reasons that we've already talked about, uh, but also for the reason of this is the this is the beginning of the life and death story for Jack and John in a lot yep. of ways. Uh, you know, the fact that Jack is going to get up and say to find John Locke, implying that he's the murderer, um, and to to go to some uh, to the Ben behind the curtain who left this other for us. Uh, he wrote in and said, when Jack yells, don't tell me what I can't do. It seems like the writers are very blatantly telling us that Jack and Locke aren't that different. Um, despite their faith in science tension, are Jack and Locke actually really similar? And the answer, of course, is yes, mm-hmm. you know, very much. And I, and, I, and I hope that we did a decent job of, of laying that out a little bit earlier in this very episode uh, when we were talking about how deus ex machina really digs in on the man of faith and this episode really digs in on the man of science. Yeah, and, and actually, let me prove that point by going back to the title of the episode, which is Do No Harm, which, as people probably know, is a reference to the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, it's an important rule for physicians to always consider whether any sort of treatment could harm a patient. Now, it's interesting because Jack sort of does the opposite, usually, where he's like, I'll save this patient at any cost, even if it does harm them, including cutting off their leg. But deus ex machina is actually from the first three, or do no harm is actually from the first three tenets of the Methodist faith. So even something science-based like the Hippocratic Oath, you know, the, the founding rules for all physicians is still based in some sort of faith. So again, I go back to this thing of 
two sides of the same coin. For sure. Uh, next other, uh, John Krauss writes in, among a myriad of other perfect things, this episode perfectly puts Jack and Kate in their literal worst nightmares. Jack has to accept failing at fixing someone, and Kate has to choose not to run from a situation that terrifies her. After 20 episodes with these people, we get to see how much they've grown. Not to mention Claire facing her fears of having a baby, Charlie taking responsibility, Jin taking part in the group, talking to Sun, and more. Do No Harm is the culmination of a season of growth for most of the cast. Bang on, John Krause. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, and that, I think that's what we were talking about with like so many people rise to the occasion of a very grim situation. Um, but in a lot of ways, I mean, we're going to start talking about Greater Good and Born to Run in the next couple of weeks, which are, you know, I think lower tier episodes in season one at the very least. You know, if you want to say underrated about one or two of them, we'll talk about that. We'll have that conversation. Uh, but I think that there's no world in which you don't say their bottom half. Uh, you know, of of season one. And then we'll get to Exodus, which is a masterful episode. But I actually do think that probably Do No Harm is the, like, this is the pinnacle of where everybody's come emotionally. This oh, is yeah. The, this is the, the pinnacle of where everybody has come in their time on the island, even more so than Exodus. I think in a different world, this is the season one finale of yeah. Lost. Yeah. And as much as I love Exodus, I wouldn't be mad at that world. Yeah, uh, I think it's like, like you said, it's a perfect ensemble episode. It features huge moments with the birth of one character, the death of another. These are like moments that would be used in other shows, season finales. And yeah, we'll definitely get into it. Like this is such an interestingly timed season where this big, big, big moment happens. And then you have like five episodes left of the season. And it really makes you wonder, where do we go from here? And right. we are going to have a couple episodes where we sort of like reset ourselves and figure out the next thing. But yeah, it's it's wild to me that as groundbreaking and as character, you know, based and as John says, very indicative of where all these characters have come of an episode as it is. It's not the end of the season, not by a long shot. Yeah. Uh, the next other comes from Eric Divestein. How is being bad at letting things go an excuse for not writing wedding vows? Eric, we already said he did write those vows. Was, this is all a long con. Uh, Sawyer could learn a thing or two. Uh, Fitz asked us, uh, you're both married. How was the night before your respective weddings? Did you write your own vows? Any details you'd feel like sharing? Haven't we shared enough? Uh, yes, the day and night before, I got a lovely text from Josh regular during my <laughs> rehearsal dinner. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I was... And I was the, the night before mine, and the reason why I texted Mike is that a time-traveling Mike Bloom uh, texted <sighs> me the night before my wedding uh, and, and said, in a few years, you and I are going to be podcasting about Lost. Uh, and when we reach the end of season six, uh, we're going to have a very powerful moment. It's going to be a very difficult night the night before we close out the podcast. And I thought that I would send you this text now so that when we get to that moment uh, in a few years, uh, you will be in stronger mental and emotional condition to weather the end of Down the Hatch. And Mike, uh, I haven't forgotten that. And yeah. I, I hope that I don't forget it by the time we reach the season six finale, though it sounds like maybe I will because it's a difficult night. And then you shot me in the leg, right? And I shot you... In the leg. Uh, this is great, Mike. This is the next other. This is from your friend and mine, Ariel Kalish Glassman, uh, who who has has this 
uh, this note for us. Uh, I had no in- intent of rewatching Lost, but couldn't pass up the opportunity to listen to you two on a regular podcast. I have felt like Claire along the way, where at times I can only remember bits and pieces. I have clear memories of certain plots and scenes and can even predict the next lines or actions, but there's a lot that I feel like I'm seeing for the first time. So much of my memory of the show is missing. Time-wise, regarding Lost in my own life, this is from Ariel, uh, my son was born on October 27th, 2004, the same day House of the Rising Sun aired. As Mike can attest, there's lots in those first months, even beyond having an infant in the house that makes all of life very blurry. This is another reason why I feel a connection to Claire, says Ariel. And by the way, my son who was born in 2004, his name is Aaron. (gasps) Claire was overhearing or snooping uh, hearing that name is like, that's a good one. I think I'm going to call him Aaron. Not right now. Let me marinate yes. on it for a bit. Yes. As the Ben behind the curtain notes, Aaron was born on November 1st, 2004, just four days after Ariel's Aaron. Oh, my God. They could have had double Aaron birthday twins. How about that? That would have been great. That would have been great. That's amazing. Uh, speaking of Aaron, let's keep going on. Uh, Megan Cherry writes, uh, it appears the island is also rapidly aging Aaron. I believe he is one day old in the episode, yet appears to have already aged at least four months. I understand that they can't have a real newborn on set, but couldn't they have found a baby that looks a little quote-unquote fresher? (laughs) I mean, he was pretty uh, covered in juice when he came out of Claire. they could not find him fresher! That's for Lindelof Volume 2. Yeah, I don't think that I'm mad at the lack of a fresher baby. Um, And we could just uh, retcon it as... That electromagnetism, baby. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it accelerated Aaron's uh, growing process, as we'll see into season two. But yes, I saw firsthand uh, a newborn and looks quite different. Uh, Aaron seemed a lot more TV ready, I'll say. I I agree. Uh, This is from Scott French. Uh, I'm glad that Claire didn't name her son Boone as a tribute. Yeah, I think Boone Littleton doesn't quite have the the right ring to it. What about Carlisle Littleton? Carlisle Littleton. That's very 2019. And it's very waspy. Yeah, it's not very 2004. Uh, Stefan Johnson. Tell Shannon I love her. I'm sorry. I hit her inhalers. I farted. Tell Shannon what? Is what Stefan Johnson asks. Uh, I mean... My theory presupposes. I like your yeah, theory. That, I, I like that. What tell you Shannon said. is basically tell Shannon what I what I told you, but just apply it to her. Yeah. Uh, this is from Sarah, not Stripes. Uh, this is talking about Boone, uh, that he's so expendable to the person he chose to guide him in his pursuit of purpose that it should not be a directive for how we treat Boone as a character. Despite his early exit, he shouldn't be treated as expendable to the audience. Boone is not a sacrifice the island demanded, as Locke infuriatingly puts it, but a human being with too much story left untold. Pour one tiny airplane cocktail out for Boone Carlisle. He will be missed. Amen. I think that there was more story that could have been told as far as like they could have done more of like the trippy like smoke monster takes on Boone's likeness thing like that could I think the on island I would say that too much story left until I would agree for on island because I think there's still like some interesting power dynamic stuff that Boone could be involved in especially if he becomes more subservient under Locke like if once Locke becomes more disgruntled with Jack how does Boone get involved in that but yeah 
I, I think that him dying here is totally fine. And I also would have been fine if he kept living, but that also probably would have meant some other events would need to be changed in order to make sure that it's not, oh, Boone, you're miraculously alive after you fell from in an airplane right. from a hangar. Right. Right. A couple more things before we wrap. Uh, we're, we're a little late to this, but Dallin Servo has updated the dude count. Uh, we missed it for numbers, and what a number indeed. 13, an unlucky oh, 13 no. dudes in numbers, uh, and one dude each in Deus Ex Machina and Do No Harm, which takes us currently to a total of 59 dudes from Hugo Hurley Reyes. Uh, also, of course, a shout-out to Jim Fells' music analysis here for Do No Harm. Mike, any reports from down the hatch of Jim Fells' music analysis? Yeah, there's a really fun one, couple, one here. So first, when Claire starts going through her labor pain, we hear the psychic motif from Richard, don't call me Ray Mullen, Malkin, uh, when he was first talking about how, you know, uh, make sure you raise this baby and nobody else raises him. The flashbacks, I don't know if you realize this, Josh, features no soundtrack from Giacchino whatsoever. And that's the first and last time that will ever happen. Wow. Uh, yeah, saving it all for the Yeah, end. well, Fels also uh, s- believes that uh, maybe this means, maybe this is because we don't exactly know what's going on through Jack's mind the entire time until he delivers those vows. So maybe that's supposed to represent sort of uh, us getting blocked out from things, Mr. Robot style. But one thing that I really loved is there is a Boone's death motif, obviously. It features this one plunked harp note that almost represents an EKG, where it steadily is plucking and gradually slows down as Boone begins to lose his life. And when Boone comes back in season three, briefly, to uh, you know talk to Locke, that theme is going to come back, but that harp note is not there, meaning that that heartbeat is permanently gone. It's an, it's an awesome, uh. awesome analysis from Jim that really just deepens immensely my appreciation for what Giacchino does. Oh, my God. Uh, the show. Right? The show, Mike. The show. The show is so good. Oh, it is. It really is. All right. Well, let's. Let's get into the very difficult job here this week of assigning out our 23 points section. And it's tough. It's tough. This week, Mike, you've got three MVP points to give. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You've got two. Um, and I think that we already, I think that we, we stated who's getting our MVP points already throughout the, the podcast. I'm just going to, I'm just going to state them out if that's Yeah, cool let's just you, go through Mike. the list. Uh, so, so we, and, and I think this is like kind of like a combined yeah. effort at this point. I think that we're yeah, in, in honor the of the Islanders. We sort of put our heads together and worked for one common goal. We're working to get, we're working together on this one. Uh, Jack, Kate, son, Claire, Boone, all of you are getting MVP points this week. Uh, and if we had the space, like we'd give one to Jin, we'd give one to Charlie, Sawyer, you know, like people, Christian, you know, people, help, Christian Shepard. Christian could have, yeah, like people earned their keep this week. Even like Saeed and Shannon are just like vulnerable with each other this week. Like everybody grew. Uh, everybody really rose to the occasion. But I think if you, if you only got five to give out, Jack, for everything that he literally gives to the situation from his blood to like his full bore commitment, bore, <laughs> uh, you know, Kate for having to, uh, to you know, uh, rise to the occasion and, and stay with Claire and, and bring a life into this world. Not easy. Uh, son uh, for doing everything that she does. Uh, Claire for bringing that life into this world. And Boone for dying so gracefully. Uh, you know, it's it's just amazing. 
and just for the people who are who are scorekeeping how how this comes out, uh, that Jack, Sun, and Boone, those points uh, come from Mike, and the Kate and Claire points come from me. But it is a group effort. Right. Um, and our LVP points, I think, we're co-signing as mm-hmm. well. All right, Josh. I, Josh, <laughs> I can't. I can't do it, man. I can't. I can't. I can't give Boone an LVP point. I can't. And, and I think like what what this is going to come down to is is this um, because like my default is I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give you an LVP point if you die in the episode and there's no one better to give an LVP point to. I think that you just you're gonna get one by default. But I, I, I thought that we'd have to like deal with this moment when we got to Charlie, and we're dealing with it so much earlier than I expected. I can't give Boone an LVP point here. He died a hero. He died a hero. He tried to save everybody. He stayed in that plane against all better judgment telling him otherwise because he thought he had a shot at freaking calling out for help and, and talking to somebody and radioing somebody and maybe, just maybe, uh, saving everybody's life. And he couldn't do it. Uh, so I can't give, I can't give, I can't give Boone an LVP point I I think that, you know, I'm happy you did this because I think that maybe we should qualify a bit the rules that you set up where it's not just someone dying. I think it also needs to be incorporated how someone dies, you know, like if they die for a specific reason, especially if they're a main character. I think think that helps excuse things a little bit. Can't do it. Can't do it. Now, that being said, uh, you know, Charlie is going to sacrifice himself in the looking glass station uh, with the with the hope that by drowning Desmond's vision of Claire getting off the island via helicopter will come true. And that doesn't come true. So Charlie dies for nothing. So Charlie may still get an LVP. Oh point. boy! So that, <laughs> so that we will we will cross that bridge when it comes to it, and then that bridge will fall apart. Yeah. Uh, so with that said, uh, I'll I'll tell you who my three LVPs are, and then you can go with your two, Mike. Uh, Mark Silverman, you had one job, sir, and that was to not get drunk and get caught getting drunk during your speech, uh, and so you failed. So you're getting Scott. Farkest here into the LVPs. Uh, Marco Shepard, where were you? Where were Jack- you? Mom, where were where you? Where were you? Where the hell were you? <laughs> so Margo gets docked as well in her doctor family. Uh, and then my last LVP goes to somebody who doesn't make an appearance in this episode, but is like the one series regular on Lost who botched it, who screwed up. Uh, and it's not that like it's not his fault that Boone fell from the plane, but he lied about it and he ducked out of there and uh, caused all kinds of problems and awkwardness and terrible things. And so I'm going to give Locke an LVP. I'm going to double down in that I'm giving double LVP points to Locke, too. I'm giving both of my LVP points to him. Like we said last episode, I don't think it's necessarily Locke's fault that Boone, for example, goes back for the radio when Locke was saying get out of there immediately. But I think Locke's lies set into motion events that caused so much trauma for so many characters and so much distrust simultaneously that I think he needs to be, I don't want to say uh, commemorated for it, but at least like given recognition for doing that. Because, I mean, this this is a real tone changing moment for this group of people. And Locke is a main contributor to that because... Had he said what happened in that moment, who knows how the treatment could have gone and who knows, you know, what would have happened to Boone's life from there. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think that Locke, in in an episode where it's hard to sign out the points, uh, Locke is the catalyst of a lot of, like, the trauma here, man. And I know that, like, 
listen, I'm the number one lock stand in the house. And we're definitely going to get to a place where like, we will feel better about John Locke along the way. But we're entering a little bit of a rough patch with John. Yeah, we're Boy. entering the dark territory when it comes to John Locke. He's going to make a return appearance back at camp, but it, these are not. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be in free fall. Yeah, for these, a these are not while. a good few episodes. Even you know, uh, uh, even in uh, even the end of Exodus, you know, where he does end up begrudgingly working with Jack and Kate, you can still tell that like. He is exactly not on good terms and is behaving as such. So, yeah, I think we spoke about this last week. Like, we had so much praise for Locke as a character last episode. But Locke, as I guess, from a moralistic perspective, is going to just keep on falling off that cliff, much like he said Boone did. All right, so with my LVP and Mike's LVPs for Locke, uh, coming into this week, Kate is still the leader with nine points, but John Locke was nipping at the heels uh, with seven points. Uh, you know, he was he was within spitting distance of the top, uh, but much as was the case last week with that Beechcraft falling from the cliff, so too is Locke, uh, and he is going down from seven points to four points this week. Uh, so that's a pretty big... Uh, Pretty big drop. Whereas Kate is rising. She is at 10. The second place tier is Hurley, Saeed, and Sun with six points apiece. Sun is making it into that tier with MVP points from this week. And then Claire is in a tier of her own right now with five MVP points total in the third place category. Uh, Meanwhile, because Boone gets an MVP point this week and does not get an LVP point this week, uh, he is going to die with negative two points. For now, uh, he's he, going to make other appearances and maybe we'll give him those opportunities. But at least he his time living ends with negative two points. I think Boone's going to get a shot at uh, clearing out his debt in... Um, I think that he has a shot in Abandoned. He's good in the flashback. I think maybe, right? maybe so. he has... I mean, depending on how we feel about Locke in season three when he sees him, maybe he'll get a point for you know being able to talk yeah, John a bit. Yeah, but is that the smoke monster or is that That's Boone? Good, I think you got to give that to the smoke good monster. Good question. I guess when we, when we get into the side, the Dosi do universe, right. we have some opportunities. I don't think he's going to... Yeah, I don't think he's getting anything in Expose, so... Uh, I don't I don't know. We'll we'll see where we net out with Boone, but right now he's at negative two. Uh and uh that's really the big addition to the LVPs. Margot uh Margot Shepard was already on here. Yep. Uh so she's got negative two now. Yep. And she's uh only one point above her husband. Yeah, and then Locke dropped. Uh let's go to the four point two stars. You know the drill, you know how this works. Uh and let's just say it. This is uh, I'm not gonna do the numbers thing where I back down. This is a perfect episode of Lost to Me. This is a four point two. Hell yeah, and I'm gonna be your I'm gonna be your nurse. I'm gonna be your son on this. Four point two. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a great this is it's propulsive, it's sad, it's 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 exciting, it's it's beautifully acted, it's everybody at the top of their game. Um, even the person who dies, dies at the top of their game. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's Michael Giacchino just absolutely killing it. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal episode. Uh, there's not much to discuss that we haven't discussed already for why I think that this is a four. I think that the, the sticking point people might have are the Jack flashbacks, but like we went over, I think those are really, I think think they're really interesting character shading on him. We have not reached the point yet where we're hitting really weird repetition, with looking at points of Jack's life, this is still new information for us, and we hit a key, we hit a vein as to what, you know, keeps Jack's blood pumping, and I think that's extremely valuable. 
As of this recording, uh, the audience average for Do No Harm is a little lower than we are. It's 3.7. So with the 4.2 and the 4.2 and the 3.7, we're at a 4.04. And Do No Harm currently is the number one Jack Shepard episode on the board, which means it is the fourth best episode of Lost here as we are through Do No Harm with only Walkabout, The Pilot, and Deus Ex Machina above it. And Do No Harm is right above the tied in fifth, All the Best Daddies, and White Rabbit. Yeah. So, I mean, we have just a streak of shepherds. It's crazy to think that, like, three Jack episodes are finishing, especially within the top ten of, of a season. But they're all really strong episodes in their own regard. So I think it's, it's makes sense. I feel like it is only appropriate that we close out 2019 with a 4.2 from both you and I because Lost is killing it here. Uh, and we're just having the best time here on Down the Hatch, Mike. Uh, what a what a year 2019 was for Lost. With 2020, it's going to be a full year front to back filled with Lost. Uh, the year of Aaron is really going to be incredible. Yes, turnips abound. But I mean, like you said, I find we're turnip heading into the future. Yeah, Mike. I, I find it so pertinent that we end on this just because, I mean, 2019 has been such an eclectic, eventful transitional year for both of us in terms of just like life events, work stuff, lifestyle stuff, etc. And you know, this is the year where we started this podcast. And I know, especially as of late, I, I, I've been profusely grateful and thankful for a you being able to bring me on here to do this every week, but especially our listeners, but I, I have to do it again. Uh, because I have never received such complex, touching, and overall heartwarming feedback for any project I have ever done in my life. Uh, it's, it's, it's astounding, and it's so... You know, when Josh and I started this podcast, I we were not sure how many people would actually be on board this raft with us. Maybe it would be four people. Maybe it would be 108... Uh, we had to bi- we had to build a bigger yeah, raft, but what we didn't but know. It's, it's incredible because <laughs> the response the Amazing. response that we've gone to it has just been nothing less but astounding. Between people who are watching it for the first time, shout out Sammy Kappa. Between people who have decided, okay, uh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but for you guys, I'll go back and rewatch it, and I'm really enjoying it. To people who have rewatched it religiously and are like, oh great, here's another excuse to go back and watch Lost. To hear about everybody's experiences. And how much these stories and these characters tie into moments of your life, both good and bad, it is absolutely inspiring. And it really makes me feel like we picked the perfect show to talk about in so many regards. And I love that we finished with this episode because, again, you have that Kate line where she says, you know, this isn't our, this isn't your baby. This is our baby. And down the hatch... It's not just Josh's baby, and it's not just my baby. It really, but it's mostly, it's our, mostly baby. our baby. But it really, and Ben's baby, and Ben's yeah, baby. But it really course. is all of ours. You know, I, we wouldn't. We're the three men with the baby. I'm Tom Selleck, shoddy. Shotgun. Oh god, oh uh, man, I wanted. All right, Ted Danson, uh, you're stuck with Gutenberg. Yeah, ben. but I mean, we would not be here, or we would not be, you know, nearly as excited talking about this stuff were it not for you guys talking about it with us as well. And so, you know, I'm so glad we were all able to raise this child together through its its weird stages of infancy. And I cannot wait to move forward in the years to come to see once this the, thing sort of awkward, the terrible two o two o's. This thing grows up into its <laughs> awkward adolescence to see, uh, you know, what it ends yeah. up looking like. 
hundred percent. Well, as you are listening to this, if you are listening to this podcast on December 27th, when we are dropping it, I'm currently up in the air on my way to, to Japan. Uh, and I'm, I'm uh, in, unable to, to read or see any of your feedback. I'm on my way towards a computer-free vacation. Uh, and I am just over the moon, maybe literally, depending on how high this plane oh, is flying. Uh, with 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 the whole down the hatch process and experience so far, it has you know just about a full year ago is when I started dreaming up the possibility of doing a lost podcast. It was when I was away in Asia, actually, the last time uh, when I was in Thailand with my friend Ben. Uh, that I that I on that flight I finished season six. And I, uh, I put it out there into the universe. Who would want a, a lost rewatch podcast? And uh, the the response then was pretty overwhelming. Uh, but the the response to the podcast has far exceeded my my wildest yeah. imagination. Uh, and to to know that we've got this in our lives for the next like you know realistically certainly the next year year and a half two years something like that and who knows what happens beyond that right like yeah, who you, knows we, where we, we, we have are? a to do list of shows we're apparently doing rewatches of or first watches of. Or we just do like a full rewatch of Lost. Oh my again. goodness! <laughs> we go back down the hatch. Who knows? You know, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but we're we're still we're still in our infancy with this podcast, and we we we're so thrilled with how it's gone. We're so thrilled with all the feedback, all of the the community building that we have done with all of you, uh, you all, everybody, our little hatchlings <laughs> out there. Uh, and we want to hear from you. We've got our, our our end of season feedback show coming up in just a few. Yeah, weeks. the feedback right now is still pooling like blood in Boone's leg. Yes, yes, and we're going to chop it off and examine it in uh, at the end of January. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address where you can get all of that done. You can also tweet at us at roundhoward at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, forgive me if I don't respond to you soon because I'm really going to be trying to be on I don't know how much uh, the service there is in space, apparently, according to Josh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but you can tweet at us. And of course, subscribe. Your ratings and reviews are not just greatly appreciated, but so important as we are trying to, to grow this podcast and expand into the ears of many other people who are, uh, who, are, who are interested in coming along for our lost journey. So please do that on your podcast app of choice. Or if you uh, listen on your Apple feed, postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch will get you there. Coming up next, the first lost down the hatch podcast of 2020 is the greater good. Uh, another Saeed Jarrah episode here on Lost. I don't think a spoiler to say that it is a Saeed Jarrah episode that is nowhere near as good as Solitary, mm. uh, his his first episode, but is the greater good more good? <laughs> I believe the word is better <laughs> uh, <laughs> than, than people maybe give it credit for. I think that that's a conversation that Mike and I are going to have, or is it like perfectly rated in people's yeah. minds? Uh, that is the conversation Mike are going to have uh, for the next week of the podcast. Uh, we will be back in short order with that conversation. Until then, everybody, take care. Goodbye. Heart and soul. You got it. I'm taking the easy part. Of course. <laughs>